This weekend we'll be in Toronto. Holla! But uh, this Wednesday we have a fucking gnarly show here at the Ice House. We've got Doug Benson. We've got Duncan Trussell. We've got Brian Redband. We've got Joey Diaz. We've got Dom Herrera. Is that it? Greg Fitzsimmons, too. It's going to be fucking crazy. And we also have one Friday if you're in town in L.A. Yeah, who's on Friday? Uh, we got Clownvis, which is Clown Elvis. French. <laughs> I like how you lead strong. Uh, Gareth from this, that new uh, MTV show. And uh, Francisco Ramos, uh, who was uh, confused by uh, Francisco. I remember we had him on a podcast. and it was, we, Oh, that's right. You had Pablo, the wrong guy. It was, it was supposed to be you thought it was Pablo Francisco. That's right. But now we're friends. So it's cool. well, dude, sometimes shit just works out. Yeah. Anyway, uh, go to DeskWad.tv and uh, all the information is there, right? Yep. All the uh, posters for shows and uh, all the information for uh, T-shirt sales. All right, you fucking freaks. Yeah. Rich Roll is here. We're finna get busy. Finna get down to the bottom of this thing. The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night. All day. Well... When I did uh, a podcast with Rob Wolf, who is the uh, paleo diet guy, uh, one of the first things that happened was that I got an immediate influx of, of vegans who had to set <laughs> Rob Wolf straight because Rob Wolf said some crazy shit. Like, I told him I drank a kale shake every morning and it makes me feel great, gives me a lot of energy. He's like, no, you gotta eat bacon and eggs. And cigarettes and coffee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta get your dick sucked by truckers. He was my superhero. Yeah, he, he said some awesome shit that you should have bacon, eggs, and coffee in the morning and that's a, a good way to get your, your day started. A lot of people didn't want to hear that. A lot of people felt that was silly. And you were one of the people that contacted me. And then I looked up your story, and uh, it's it's pretty fascinating, man. You were you were like around forty, and you were out of shape. Yeah, I mean, I was uh, I was I'd been an athlete in college. I was a swimmer in college, but uh, it kind of got away from me after that. You know, when when college is over, that was kind of the end of that athletic chapter, and. You know, life goes on, and, you know, I went to law school, and then it's just about the job and getting married and having kids and, you know, climbing the corporate ladder and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, in the wake of that, you know, I lost sight of being fit and being healthy and, you know, was, was pretty much a couch potato, depressed, lethargic, a little bit lost in life, you know how it goes. So uh, yeah, decided I had to uh, take it back. I had a little bit of a, of a health scare that kind of triggered uh, uh, me to, you know, take to do something about it and so what what action did you take specifically well i mean i wish i could you know say i ran off to the library and got a bunch of books and you know read all the paleo books and read all the vegan books and did a double blind study with people <laughs> with double blindfolds on and and you know figured out the right way to do it and you know that's not what happened i mean i i fumbled around for a while trying to figure out what would work for me but the the first thing that i did um my wife is like she's big into yoga and healing and meditation and she's like you know she's constantly reading like crazy spiritual texts and you know she's pretty well schooled in alternative thinking and lifestyle and all that kind of stuff and you know if you were to open the refrigerator it's pretty clear like the kind of food she was eating and what i was eating which was essentially crap so uh but she would do like a juice cleanse pretty much every year you know and that was fine for her, but that was definitely not something that I was ever interested in doing. But, you know, I was kind of desperate, and I thought, you know, maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll try that. And so I just sort of reached out to her, and I said, yeah, I think I want to do that. And she hooked me up with 
we got all these crazy herbs and, you know, we got a juicer and the whole thing and kind of dialed it in. And, you know, I did that for like five days, kind of a, not like the, you know, in Hollywood, a lot of people do like the cayenne pepper thing or mm-hmm. whatever and lemon like juice. Lemon. Or, yeah. I mean, that's like a starvation thing. So it wasn't yeah. like that. It mm-hmm. was like, I kind of weaned myself off food for a couple of days and just did juice for a couple of days and then kind of leaned back into food. But it was a pretty like eye-opening experience, you know, like the first couple of days I was like, it was like I was in rehab, man. It's like buckled over on the couch, like detox, really? just feeling like shit. I could barely move. What was your diet like before that? Like what was standard cheeseburgers? It was, yeah. I mean, cheese, it, you know, fast food all the time, man. You know, Domino's mm. pizza, pizza hut, Wendy's, Jack in the box late at night, coming home from work. Mm. Just, it didn't matter. And, and, you know, part of that was because, when I was in, when I was swimming in college, you know, I'm training like four hours a day and you're, you know, you're 19, 20 years old or whatever. And, and just, it was just about how many calories can I put down the throat and trying to fill myself up, right. and, you know, it didn't really matter. And, you know, you can get away with that stuff, uh, you know, and I did for a long time, but you know, it catches up to you, but those habits, you know, you form those habits that carry with you and they're, they're you know, they're hard to break. Yeah, we really are a creature of habit. That's a, it's a strange thing that even bad habits like gambling, like people that become gambling addicts, it really mm-hmm. is some sort of like a, a, a like a like a hijacking of your reward systems and For it's sure. giving you this this rush towards something that really doesn't make any sense. And there's also the the comfort factor that comes in repeating patterns. It's like your brain knows how to do it. It's done it before. Let's stop mm-hmm. fucking around. Just keep doing the same shit you've been doing and just, you know, blow off the gym and take a nap and go beat off and, you know, just do 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 the same stupid shit you've been doing. It's really hard for people to like to move away from that. Yeah, you get these like cemented pathways in your brain and it's just your default. Like I think you you know when with certain behavior patterns after a while you don't even know you're doing it you're just like it's like your program like a computer you just follow that pattern every time and, and change is hard man it is hard and it's it's also it's hard to find a healthy meal at like fucking burger king or jack in the box it's hard to go in there and really get some nutrients <laughs> you can't yeah you're it's not going to happen. Yeah, I mean, you, you like know? you look, you like, do you got a salad? You got a salad over there, and you look at the salad, and you're like, oh Jesus, it's all like iceberg lettuce. It's all wildered. And everything's closed early here in L.A. So if you're working late and coming home, like it's, yeah. it's, sometimes it's the only option. Subways, Seven like Eleven, yeah, yeah, Subways. Uh, uh. Though that's you know all that stuff that they can keep on a shelf for that long. Yeah, <laughs> none of that is good for you. But, There's but so much. It's way better. I would uh, you know imagine if you just got a, a chicken sandwich or a like turkey, on whole wheat or something like wheat. that. Yeah. They need a drive-throughs, more drive-through subways if they even have any at all. But that would be perfect. This dude's talking to you about like some serious fucking vegetable nutrition. You want to talk about <laughs> well, awesome. subway? Talking, subway would well, be awesome. You, know, always, you gotta you want to like find the healthier subways. option. You know, but yeah. I mean you gotta. I mean I can't imagine the produce that like subway and you're such a huge corporation you're getting the low rent shit you cannot (laughs) fuck with in and out burger man if you had like some like really sexy tofu (laughs) lettuce wrap thing that you were selling but right next door is in and out burger you're doomed son it's tough man it goes back to those pathways you know you know you know you smell it it's like a pheromone yeah it's powerful it also goes back to the fact that in and out is fucking delicious. Yeah. That's a problem, too. You can't deny <laughs> that shit's delicious. Hey, man, I did it for years and years and years. Like, yeah, especially you know. in and out Those fresh burgers, so much better than burgers at, like, you know, some place where they nuke it. Didn't they just have, like, a little bit of a scandal there, though, with some of their meat? Did they? they screwed up? Yeah, I thought I remembered reading something about that. I don't know. Like, maybe like a month ago. This might be vegan I propaganda. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it probably wasn't like the Zancou murders. <laughs> 
Remember the I don't want the murders? death squad coming down on me like oh, a ton of bricks, man. My Twitter already exploded. Your fans are fucking rabid, man. I mean, it's uh, intense. You have an intense following. Yeah, I don't know what happened. Uh, damn. Um, yeah, you ever plan- want to go to war? You, you know, you, you just rally the troops. Well, we're man, trying to build armies. That's talk, why we're selling you know? kettlebells. We're selling kettlebells and battle ropes and selling vitamins and, and brain pills and, and subscribing to YouTube videos. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, yeah, you were right. Their uh, In-N-Out Burger um, the plant got closed by a USDA-supplied, right. uh, uh, or uh, rather, the, yeah, the, the, the inspectors. Temporary shutdown, California meat company that provided the beef for the popular In-N-Out Burger chain. Ew, that's yeah. not good. No propaganda here, man. And also, the, I, of course, I'm just, I just, it's always good to have the information. If I, if I say things all the time and I need to check them, so I do it when anybody else has something too. But the U.S. school lunch program, they also provided food for them. Ew. Yeah, yeah. Who fucking, Listen, imagine? Listen, if you're, if you're sourcing that much beef, you know, you're a huge company like that, you're going to have a problem like that from time to time. Yeah, you know? there's a lot of cows involved in that, huh? Like, what, is, <laughs> what are the numbers and something like that? I don't know. It's got to be enormous. Diane Sawyer looks pissed as fuck. <laughs> that is the last person you want on TV. No, N- Nancy Grace is the last person you want on TV. <laughs> talking shit about you. Angry-faced. But, um... Like, how many cows do you think they use, like, just in and out a small chain, like, in and out How many do they use in it's, a day? It's got to be mind-blowing. Yeah, whoa. Really stop and think about that. It's like the Holocaust of cows over there. Well, you know what it is, man? We figured out how to make this society work without people hunting. It's like, we st- this, this weird notion that we have zero connection with how the food is gathered, like, that's a really fucking crazy way to live. So everybody's like, yeah, I'd like meat. Yeah, I'd like meat. But mm-hmm. you don't have to do any of the, the stuff that makes you respect the animal. You don't have to hunt it down. You don't have to kill right. it. You don't have to like, be thankful that you got it and bring it back. There's none of that anymore. Well, the system is set up to prevent you from thinking about it. Yeah. You know, it's almost like grocery stores in a certain way. It's analogous to like a Vegas casino where you know the casinos, they don't have, they're pumping the air conditioning in. There's no clocks. You can't find the exit door. It's disorienting. In the same way, like a grocery store, everything's perfectly packaged. It looks clean or whatever. You know, you're not you're not supposed to think about that. I was at uh, a grocery store that has a butcher shop in the back, and uh, they were sawing through a side of beef, and uh, you don't really see that. <laughs> yeah. You know, you really rarely see that. You know, you what the, usually you get is you get like you know they they have these packages and the steak is very nice and wrapped up, right. and you go oh, this one is a, a a full pound. That's a good sized steak. I'll take that home. No, no, no. This dude had a saw. And he was running meat through. So I was like, yo, that's yeah. real life, son. That's, that's yeah. a body. It's not like a steak. You know, there's a body that has to get chopped up and become steaks. And we're so separated from that, that actual experience of uh, the, you know, the, seeing the animal lose its life and understanding what it means to eat it. We're completely separated from it. It's, it's I mean, really strange. Imagine if your job was the guy in the slaughterhouse, like doing that, he's cutting the throats or whatever. I mean, that's got to take madness. an emotional toll. It's got to be guy, madness. You know? It's got to be madness. All day you're seeing t- terrified animals, and you're giving them the very thing that they're terrified of. They're terrified of losing their lives. Yeah. It's fucking horrifying. Yeah, it's weird, man. And I think, you know, you know, I think you can appreciate this as a deep thinker, but, you know, food is energy, man. It, it carries a vibration. And so when you put something in your mouth and, you know, you're making a decision to take that vibration into you. And so, you know, well, what what is that vibration? You know, when you're taking in... A terrorized animal does that affect you is that does that change your perception your decision making your outlook does it not i don't know it's a very good question 
the you know the the solution though it seems to be it's not as simple as don't eat meat because even if you don't eat meat what are you going to do with all these fucking cows are you going to stop them from breeding are you going to let them starve to death and die off are they going to go extinct like how are we going to regulate these cows you're either going to shoot them or you're going to castrate a bunch of them. But you're going to have to mm-hmm. shoot some of them because otherwise you're going to have cows wandering through the streets everywhere. Why like you've got to deal with the fact. Yeah, we have to deal Why with the India? fact that you've created a species. You know, essentially we've uh, bred cows to this domestic form from wild cows. And, you know, it's, we've done it for so long that they're pretty much helpless without us. It'd be mad cows. Yeah, there's no predators out there. It's not like we live in fucking Africa and there's lions running around that could take care of the cow problem. It's not going to happen. We, you would have a real problem with cows if we stopped eating them. Just the fucking sheer numbers that exist now. I mean, unless you could absolutely keep them from breeding, and then you'd have to figure out what you're going to do. You're going to just let the old ones die? Are you going to let some of them breed? You know, what are you going to do? I don't know. It's you're not. Have to, yeah, I mean, it's, you're have there's, to figure no, that out. there's no easy solution. But, yeah, you know, so, the, but the vegan um, solution of not eating the meat at least removes karma from your position. It removes, it removes you from interacting with uh, the terrified animal's last moments and to, to, for you to be, well, I don't want to say profiting, benefiting from that. Well, I don't know. I mean, I'll, you know, I just speak to my own experience, you know, and I know I feel better. I feel, you know, more energized. I feel like my energy is even and good. My my mood and my outlook is positive. And and I think that, you know, when you when you talk about vegan and the word vegan and what that means, I mean, that means different things to different people. You know, it's a tricky word. It's, it's you know what it means to a lot of people. Well. What it means? Fuck you. <laughs> no, it means it. It means uh, you. You run a high risk of them being annoying. It doesn't mean that they're annoying. I have well, a, well, a no, lot of listen. vegan friends that are awesome. Like it's Mac true. Danzig is a vegan, he's, and he's a, a he's great a, he's guy. He's a great guy. And, and, and he's, he's by the way, guy. he's going to be on the podcast tomorrow. Again, we, we fucked up and a uh, big disaster. Yeah, I can't one. wait for this podcast just so my Twitter f- feed won't be like, <laughs> Brian, stop being a lazy fuck. <laughs> yeah, people are so silly. You know, no, Max a great guy. He's an he, awesome guy. And he's not, but you know, he's got his reasons and they're intelligent reasons for being a vegan. Um, however, there are a few people that do it as like a sanctimonious starting point. They do it as like, you know, like a, they, they're claiming a moral high ground with this new position and they mm-hmm. flaunt it in this like real, you know, really annoying, self-satisfying kind of uh, in-your-face way. And it's it's defeatist for what they're trying to say as well. Yeah. And I think that that uh, yeah, it's a very emotionally charged word. I mean, Huge. food in general might as well be religious. Talking about food in general is emotionally charged. I mean, just look at you know the Twitter feed is going to explode over this, and that's sure. a good you know barometer of that. But you know. It's, it's right up there with religion and politics. It really is. And when you say vegan, it immediately, you know, people snap into a preconceived idea of what that is and what that means, and they have a visual image of a person in their mind. You know, it's a guy with dreadlocks kicking a hacky sack up in Humboldt. You or know, he's blowing you know, a guy what, <laughs> while they're yeah. eating a salad. Yeah, I mean, whatever it is, somebody has that image already. So, the, so that word, you know, is... And, and people have different reasons for getting into it. You know, you right. have the people who are into it for the compassion and the saving the animals, that's a very different crowd and attitude mm-hmm. from the people that get into it for health reasons or because they don't want to have a heart attack or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, they both, I guess, are technically vegans, but they're also, you know, very different. And just because you 
choose to not eat meat or whatever, doesn't, does that mean that you're automatically a Democrat or you know, what is your political point of view? And all of these things get woven together and it, and it, makes, it, it makes it challenging you know, to even talk about it with an open mind, I think. Yeah, it is a quite interesting situation. And um, uh, th there is the very real issue of the fact that we are at the top of the food chain. And at, when you're at the top of the food chain, it bears some responsibility. And you can, you know, we're the only animals that can really decide and choose how to alter other animals' lives, like mm -hmm. on purpose, and figure out how to do it. And when you look at how we choose to do it, if you look at like Food Inc. and you see factory farming and stuff like that, it really is a is a it's a, a damning statement about like where we're at like spiritually like as a race like we're getting away with this really heinous shit because we can because it's easy to just not pay attention mm -hmm. to it and that's uh that's that's the worst case scenario like the best case scenario you would think they have it set up so these animals live like they're on a, a an open prairie and they all just live a natural life, and then you call them from the herd. Right. And you do, it, you do it you know, easily. So they live a natural life, no different than any other cow, in a large environment where they get to roam around and eat grass instead of being force-fed corn. Mm -hmm. and, and then you just kill them. I mean, that's like the best-case scenario if you're mm -hmm. going to eat cows. But the way we do it, is a, it's pretty damning that human beings in the idea of maximizing profit have decided to run these ridiculous places where you're packing pigs right next to each other in these little boxes and you, you see the chickens all stuffed in together with each other and pecking at each other. It's fucking yeah. gnarly, man. We, yeah, when you see food ink and you see the chicken coops, it's, it's pretty, <laughs> that's pretty disturbing to, you know, and gnarly. you make that connection because, you know, it's easy to go, well, chicken's, you know, chicken's the healthier option or whatever and then you see that and it makes you, it makes you think twice. But I also think you know, we've created this system that ultimately is not sustainable. I mean, like an insane amount of our agriculture goes to, you know, produce grain to feed these, to feed livestock, like something like 90% or something is it like really? that. It's wow. crazy high. 90%. Crazy high. And, and, you know, with the, and then, and then it, it, you know, brings up all the ecological arguments about greenhouse gases and all oh, that Oh, they, kind of they stuff, fart so. up a fucking storm. Yeah. Those goddamn animals ruined <laughs> India. <laughs> Do you know they do? They they fucking they cause global warming. No bullshit. From farting. Yes, dude. It's not bullshit. Ugh. It sounds silly, but they fart so much. You're dealing with in India. You have so many fucking cows mm -hmm. that they really have pollution issues because of cow sh farting in the air. I heard the the wow. grass fed yeah. beef fart, farts, <laughs> farts even more. Really? Yes. Yeah, so I don't know where I read. Oh, that that's hilarious. Well, that makes sense because India would be much more grass fed, right? Yeah, and they're the ones so. who have the the big issue. But they also have the issue that they don't kill cows, or right. or at least the Hindus do. You apparently can buy beef in India. It's not uncommon. It's just there's a, a huge mm -hmm. group of them that won't fuck with the cows. Right. Is that why they don't wear deodorant? So it smells like deodorant or armpits more than poop and and farts all. You know, like, like, it's like, like you're building your own force out. field. Yeah, like maybe. That. Your That's own a, body smell. <laughs> yeah. Sort of cancel out the shit you're, smell in the air. Yeah, that's like way better than fucking shit. Yeah, man. That's like the worst case scenario is like you're living around animals who stink up the air constantly with their fart gas. And you can't kill them. Because <laughs> dog farts are <laughs> fucking nasty. Like, yeah. So a big cow farts, that's way... I'd be sniffing armpits and all day long. You're hungry... And, you know, there's people starving, and they're just letting these delicious cows just wander around. How the fuck did that ever happen? I don't know. I think it goes back to religion. What a bunch of silly bitches they are in India. That is the, one of the silliest choices ever. What do you want to do? You want to starve to death, or you want to eat these fucking delicious cows? 
Let's just sit around and smell their farts and complain <laughs> and have more it's just, people. It's cultural mores, though. I mean, there are, yeah. there, are, there are cultures that think that we're insane for having dogs in our houses. It's true. So, yeah, know. it's interesting how um, we just sort of uh, adopt a pattern of behavior based on our surroundings and what's existed in that area. Yeah, for the Indians, I guess. The, the, what it, is the, the cow is sacred in the Hindu culture? Is that what it is? Yeah. It's a god or something like that? Or relatives come back to life or something? Yeah. My, <laughs> yeah. Well, no. I, it is? When I worked at an Indian company, I had a steering wheel. My, I, me and my ex-girlfriend used to share a car, and her steering wheel cover was a cow uh, print. Right, and they saw me drive up to that, and I had a meeting, and they told me to please remove that from their steering wheel because uh, they how they respect cows. What? Yeah, really. At an Indian company. It was called the Software People. Oh wow! Well, you showed up with like murdered skin on your <laughs> yeah. steering They're wheel. They're like, oh, please, uh, just uh, you know, just be nice. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, it's got to be weird. What a strange thing to just choose to really worship and lock onto. Mm -hmm. It just, but it shows you. I mean, that's what they did in India. You know, he, someplace else it was Buddha. Someplace else it was Jesus. It's we're so fascinating when it comes to that. Human beings are really, really bizarre animals. So your your story was that you were an athlete, and then you got unhealthy, and then you had a little bit, a bit of health scare. So that's when you decided to go vegan. Yeah. So I did. So I did that juice cleanse, and then uh, you know, by that by the fifth day of that, I just felt unbelievable. You know, like I, my energy level was through the roof, and all I'd been doing was drinking like fruit and vegetable juice, and drinking this like beetroot broth and some teas and stuff like that. And and it was it was amazing because I had I had abused my body for so long with terrible food and terrible lifestyle, and I'm also a recovering alcoholic, so you know I used to drink like a shitload you hit it on both and, ends uh, yeah i was hitting it i was hitting it hard and like i just you know i did not treat myself well and the idea that like within five days i could feel that good like i didn't know that i could feel that good or i hadn't felt that good in 15 20 years is pretty amazing you know the body is like incredibly resilient hmm. you know when you treat it right so when i was done with that i thought well what am i going to do you know like i want to i want to keep feeling this good like but I don't know, you know, I don't know what to do next. And, you know, again, I wish I'd gone out and, you know, read a bunch of books or something. But I just thought uh, maybe I'll try a vegetarian diet. Like I didn't do any education or research, but I just it just seemed like, well, that sounds, you know, healthy or healthier than what I'm doing. But kind of coming from an addiction perspective and a recovery perspective, like I went to rehab 14 years ago. And so a lot of like the way, like I sort of rewired my brain and, and the way I think is kind of in the context of addiction and recovery. It just seemed like something I could wrap my brain around because you're either eating meat or you're not. You know, it's very, it's very black and white, just like you're using drugs and you're drinking or you're not. You know, you're either sober or you're using, you know. And so that made more sense to me than, hey, I'm going to eat better. Like, I'm just going to eat healthy and go to the gym because it's so vague. You know, like, I don't, I don't know what that means. You know, maybe right. I would for like a week or two, but I would definitely fall back into, you know, my regular old behavior patterns. So, so I started doing that, but it wasn't long before, you know, I'm looking for the loopholes or whatever, because you can eat like shit on a vegetarian diet. You can eat like shit on a vegan diet. So, you know, I could, I could eat Pizza Hut cheese pizza and get nachos and, you know, eat McDonald's French fries and I'm a vegetarian, right? So certainly, you know, that wasn't working, but I did that for like six months and of course, you know, didn't lose any weight. I was about 50 pounds heavier than I am now. And, you know, I was kind of back on the couch and lethargic and 
I was ready to just bag it, but I thought, you know, I wonder what would happen if I just kind of went that extra step and got rid of the dairy and cut out the processed foods. And I didn't really think it would make a difference. Like I almost did it to prove that it wouldn't or to like, you know, prove to my wife that it wouldn't work, you know, so I could kind of keep doing what I was doing and, and, and be guilt-free about it. But so I tried that and within a week, like I was back to that energy level that I felt when I did the cleanse, like my energy level just was through the roof. Like it was so high that I could only sleep like a couple hours a night and I was like bouncing off the walls. And so, really? Yeah, it really did. It really wow. did. It made a huge, it made a huge difference. And I think getting rid of the dairy made a much bigger, like not eating the meat wasn't that hard for me, but getting rid of the dairy in my diet, that was a lot harder. Like that was almost like another detox, you know, of like, cause dairy is in so many foods. So, and I crave it, man, you know, I love it. So was very difficult to kind of break that do you have cheat days pattern. i don't have cheat days so your days. your attitude is essentially <clears throat> uh the same attitude that you have about like recovery yeah like, because is... well that's the thing like i know you know like tim ferris is big on the cheat day with his slow carb and all of that and it, and it seems to work for a lot of people and it makes sense for me like for me it's about I, it goes back to like the addiction model because I, I do crave this stuff, man. And I know if I had a cheeseburger like once a week, like I'd start eating cheeseburgers all the time. Cause it would, you know, you break the cycle and now I don't think about it that much. Like every once in a while I'll smell it and it smells good to me, but I, I don't go around like craving it all the time. But if mm. I was to have it every once in a while, then you're kind of, you keep, you're, you're still kind of like fertilizing that little seed. I respect that Anthony Bourdain loves pork so much. He loves pork so much that they gave him the option of quit eating pork or take medicine to lower your blood pressure and your cholesterol, rather. And he took the medicine. <laughs> Said, I'll take the fucking medicine. I need pork. Yeah. He talked about it on the show, yeah. like being addicted to food. And he's, for him, it's That's, pork, fatty pork. He's willing to sacrifice his health. his health. Yeah. Because he likes to eat pork. I mean, that's, that's pretty heavy, man. It's pretty you know? fucking intense. Yeah, and I don't know how, how good that anti-cholesterol medication is for you. Is that is that okay for the you? Statins. I mean, you know, there's a lot. There's there's plenty of side effects for, from that. I mean, uh, I would imagine there has there to be. There are right? a crazy number of people that are on these drugs, and it's amazing the extent to which the 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 healthcare system. You know, the doctors just you know they just knee jerk prescribe this stuff, and they're not that educated about nutrition, whether it's paleo or vegan or whatever. It's not really part of the medical school curriculum. I, you know, I'm I'm I've been shocked so, talking to doctors about nutrition. I've been shocked having conversations with very, doctors. Very very few are, that, and it, it's not their fault. Like you know, they're studying all sorts of stuff, and you know maybe there's an elective here or there, like one required course that they have to take, but. They're not really that schooled, and and in our system, we're we're sort of grown and raised to believe that you know doctor knows best, and you go to the doctor, and the doctor knows everything, and it's kind of alarming and eye-opening to realize that that's not necessarily the case, at least with respect to nutrition. There should most certainly be a a, a doctor of nutrition that you go to, a doctor who is a a full-fledged doctor at the top of, you know, all the information that's available today. He's on top of all of it. And his job is just to check your blood and, and give you a detailed write-up of what's wrong with you nutritionally. You know, what's a, you don't have any B12 in your body. You don't right. have this in your body. You don't have, you're missing niacin. You're, you know, whatever it is that he could show you what your optimum levels of your various nutrients should be. Very, very, very few people 
you know, ever get that done. No. And they do exist, but that should be part of your physical. Yeah, it you should be a, I mean? it should be a regular thing. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I talk about it on this show all the time, how much it, it changed me when I, when I started drinking kale shakes in the morning. And I'm not vegan. I still, uh, I drink milk. I still, uh, I eat meat. But in, uh, in massively increasing the amount of uh, plant nutrients I get into my body, mm-hmm. and especially it seems like starting my day with them, um, that I, I usually, I don't eat like right when I wake up. I like to exercise sometimes or just get up and do some stuff, mm-hmm. and then I'll eat. And uh, my first meal is always really light. It's always either some sort of a hemp protein shake or it's this, um, this uh, kale shake thing that I have. But the, the difference is the kale shake gives me this fucking steady energy. Mm-hmm. It, it, like I can feel my body responding to the nutrients. Like you can literally feel it. And there's no – the only negative about it at all is that you have to shit more. But that's just like cleaning out your pipes. It's and no you actually deal. look forward to it yeah. because they're, they're wonderful. These poops are like a, a ride. They're like, wee! You can feel it. You can feel it in the way that, you know, like when you have that first cup of coffee and you can feel your spine getting tickled mm-hmm. by the caffeine. Yeah. It's, a sim- it's, a, it's like yeah. a similar thing. I mean, it jacks you up. I could not yeah. live, live without the Vitamix. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. It's an amazing yeah. creation. When we yeah. go out of town, we bring it with We, like, travel really? with it. You're an animal. Yeah. You're an animal. It's just, you know, Good it's for you. It's such a part of your life. I mean, it's amazing. It's, it's a heavy thing because it's it's expensive, right? Mm-hmm. Things like 500 bucks, 450 bucks or whatever. It's a, it's a tough pill to swallow for a lot of people to tell them they ought to get one. But, but it's one, a motherfucker. Once you yeah. have it, you right. can't imagine not having it. Yeah. It's a motherfucker. You know? It's, it's a beast. That thing's amazing. It's such a great thing. Just stuff everything in there and p- plunge it and then just turn that bitch on. I, I uh, blended an avocado pit once. Whoa. And drank it. Whoa, what was that like? That. Well, I had a bunch of other stuff in there. You, so is that really good for it. you? But just, I, didn't, I just wanted to see if I could do it. You know, because it's like, whole, I couldn't believe uh, that's how... The whole avocado, even the pit? The pit, for, that's what I'm talking about. Isn't that the pit. poison that's got like uh, nitrates in it or something crazy like that? No, it has... Uh, it has <laughs> the shit from Back <laughs> to the Future. Like the nitrates. Yeah, yeah. It's fucking nuclear. It's like those sneakers that light right. up when you step on them. Yeah. It's that stuff. It's that stuff. I wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend doing it all the time. I, I just wanted to see... I, the, the point is that I couldn't believe that it was so powerful that it could, wow. it could actually blend that into a Yeah, liquid. for folks who don't know what a Vitamix is, it's essentially a really high-powered blender that's designed to make, like, vegetable smoothies. But it also has, like, a, a top with a hole in it, and you have, like, a plunger. And the plunger drops down to, like, right above the blade. So it shoves everything into the blades and mashes it. It's mm-hmm. incredible. It's, it never breaks. The fucking thing... They're, it's they're, indestructible. Oh. It's like a World War II relic kind of thing, yeah. you know? Even the design of it looks like it's been around forever. Have you? Um, I think I tweeted you this. Did you? Have you tried putting um, beets in there? No. With the kale? No, I haven't. The, my my recipe is so fucking good. I I don't want to mess with it too much. The, I messed beets with it by chain. Beets does sound good, but I changed but pears to uh, pineapple. Put like a half that a beet good. in and the beet greens because the 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 nitrites. Is it nitrites or nitrates? I always get that wrong or whatever. It's been shown to have like a significant impact on 
the efficiency of your oxygen utilization. Like it, really? it's, it's, it's an, it's a pretty significant like energy booster. Wow. And okay. It's, so it's the noticeable. beet greens as well. The yeah. Beet. You can put the greens in and then it'll turn everything red. Like even if you put a tiny amount of beet in the whole shake will be mm -hmm. red and it's, you know, you want to put some other stuff in there because it, it has kind of a heavy taste, but, but you'll notice a difference. All right. I definitely, I would definitely do I'll that. I'll try that shit tonight. In the same way that um, the cordyceps work, because you know the cordyceps are so good at boosting your oxygen uptake and the efficiency yeah. of your oxygen utilization. It's, it has a similar effect. I mean, the cordyceps are crazy awesome. It's amazing. You know? Yeah, well, that's what the uh, main ingredient of Shroom Tech Sport is. Mm -hmm. And uh, I take four of those before jujitsu class. And even if I'm, you know, I haven't been training recently. Like, it's, it's amazing how much more energy you have. Yeah. It's, it's like a significant feeling of, like, an extra little boost that you have. It's like you've been training at altitude and then you come down to sea level. Yeah. Like, you feel like you don't get winded. You don't get winded the same way, that's for sure. And uh, people who have gone to altitudes, like, have had to change altitudes rapidly, like, move up to Boulder, like, real quick, and that normally would have issues with that. Mm -hmm. They've found that if they take cordyceps mushrooms, it can uh, can settle them acclimate. in, yeah, settle them in quicker. Uh -huh. Because for a lot of people, that altitude sickness is no fucking joke. Yeah. I read this thing about uh, babies being born in Colorado, that, like, a record number of babies are born prematurely. Like uh, in Colorado, because huh. the the high altitude, but it totally makes sense. It's like yeah, yeah. that's a harder way to live. You know, yeah. the the whole thing is tougher. Oxygen utilization is fucking everything, man. It's yeah. everything. It's everything, and it's in beats. Beats, man. Check it out. <laughs> <laughs> Check out some rhubarb while you're at it, Joe. Also, so you don't do you do you miss meat at all? Do you miss the smell? Like if you have a neighbor who's barbecuing and you, you yeah, ni you had nightmares about Listen, Fogo de Chao. I'm a, oh, Fogo. I'm a uh, I'm oh. a human being, man. You know, like I you know I ate that stuff for a long time. I like it. You know, mm -hmm. I like the smell of it. I mean, I there are certain vegan people that will say it disgusts them or whatever, and that's you know. I'm sure it does or whatever, but for me, I smell it. It smells. That's my problem. It smells good. I drive by Jack in the Box. I think that smells good. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. See, that's that's like my problem. I mean, that's why I can't have a cheat day for me. Yeah, you know, I understand. So, how did you get involved in uh, endurance athletics? What happened there? It was another kind of you know weird like organic thing that just evolved over time. I mean, when I when I got on the plant based diet, I started exercising again. You know, mainly because I just had all this energy I had to burn off. Like, I, di I didn't have any designs on going back to being an athlete or being competitive in anything. I just wanted to lose a little weight, and I wanted to be able to enjoy my kids at, at their energy level. You know, I have four kids now. So <clears throat> it was really just about, you know, connecting with that part of myself that I kind of lost touch with, but nothing crazy. You know, I would go to the pool and swim a couple times a week and you know do a light jog here and there. My wife bought me a bike for my birthday. I'd never really ridden a bike before. Um, and this was when I turned 40. Uh, but then I had like a, an experience after I'd been doing this for maybe four months or something like that, a really moderate exercise. I went out um, for a morning run out at, uh, you know where uh, Mulholland Drive, the dirt road part of it that dumps out at the bottom of Topanga on the valley side. So there, there's a trail that, could, that can, you can literally go like all the way to Brentwood, right? It goes forever. And I just went out there one morning on a weekday for a morning run and just, you know, you have those days and I'm sure you have it in jujitsu where you just feel unstoppable, like you can just keep going forever. I just started running and I just felt amazing, you know, and I just kept going and going. I was like, I don't have to be back, you know, I'm going to keep going, going. 
I ended up running like the better part of the marathon you know, just by myself. <laughs> like wow. I, would, you know, like I think 24 miles or something like that that morning. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I got back, and I just was like, "What is going on?" Dude, you know? that's some Forrest Gump shit. <clears throat> yeah, it was. It was a really yeah, weird. I mean, I'd never been a runner. You know, it's not like I had a background in running or you know had any proficiency in it really. And it wasn't like I was going fast that day either. But it was just the idea that I could keep going, and I thought something's going on here. You know, I don't know whether it's the nutrition change or I've just unlocked some dormant gene inside me, but you know, this felt good, you know, and then I was like, I'd like to, you know, challenge myself. And then I started looking for something to do. And you know, when you're 40, it's like, you know, what's the bucket list item or what's the midlife crisis thing you want to do. And started thinking about doing an Ironman cause that's a, that's a pretty typical you know, goal for a 40 year old guy who wants to, you know, conquer a mountain or whatever. <laughs> And, uh, and started training a little bit more and more. And I didn't know anything about triathlon. I didn't know anything about Ironman or anything like that. But I figured it seems like there's those Ironman races that are like every weekend somewhere. And like tons of people are doing it. It can't be that hard to get in one. I'll just pick a city, you know, a ways out and, you know, train for it myself. And I went on the website one day and realized that, that uh, they all sell out like a year ahead of time. Like they're like U2 tickets. Like the, after, the day after one of those races, the next day, and they just sell out like in a couple hours uh, so I couldn't get into any of those and and uh it's like well you know what am I going to do and nothing seemed to excite me and I kind of lost my mojo for a little bit but uh I was at Jamba Juice one morning like maybe a month after that experience getting a juice and you know how they have those um like competitor magazines that you see in like running shoe stores or whatever, or like running shoe reviews or whatever, just laying around. And I picked it up and started looking at it. And there was an article about this dude named uh, David Goggins, who's this badass Navy SEAL guy. Like guy had been like a football player and a power lifter, like big strapping guy. I think he was up, he had weighed like 275 pounds at one point and um, had seen some shit, you know, as, as a Navy SEAL and had lost a lot of friends in, in action. And he decided that he was going to go, he was going to find the 10 most difficult endurance races in the world and do them all to like raise money for, it wasn't the Wounded Warriors Foundation, but it was something like that, like a, like a you know, so that he could raise money for the families of these, these friends of his that had fallen. And he had, he had just done this race called Badwater, which is a 135 mile run through Death Valley that goes up like Mount Whitney at the end, like this, in, and it's like, crazy hot like 110 120 degrees out in the desert and he had just done really well in that and he had never really done much endurance sports before that like he literally had like fallen into it and had had just put in an incredible performance and then like a month later he did this race called ultraman which is this insane double ironman distance race in hawaii where over the course of three days you circumnavigate the entire big island of hawaii which is wow. like a big island. It's like the it's size crazy. of Connecticut, right? So <clears throat> I was reading about this, and it just seemed like such a cool event. Like it, not only was it longer than Ironman, which I didn't think was possible, um, it was uh, broken up into stages. So the first day is a 6.2-mile ocean swim followed by a 90-mile bike. And the last part, like the last 20 miles of that bike, you go up to Volcano National Park. So it's like a 4,000-foot gain. And the second day you ride 170 miles around the eastern side of the island, like up through Hilo, and you, you end up in this little town called Javi. And the third day, you run 52.4 miles, double marathon, 
from Javi back into Kona where the race started. And I was like, what is this? And it was cool because they limited it to just 35 like invitation only competitors. Like you had to apply to get into this race. They don't close any of the roads. And it was almost like this family affair where you have to bring your own crew and they kind of like take care of you and feed you out of a van while you're doing this race. And the crews kind of help each other out and the competitors help each other out. So it's a race, but it, it seemed almost like this crazy spiritual odyssey, you know, like this experiment in expansion, you know, much more than a race. And I was like, that was what I was looking for. You know, it wasn't like I was looking for a race to go see how fast I could go or how many guys I could beat. Like it resonated with me because it seemed more like an opportunity to learn more about myself in a way that was unique. You know what I mean? Like it was uh, like this crazy down the rabbit hole, like spiritual adventure. And so it just captivated me. And I, I, I was like, it was one of those things where, you know, when you come across something and, and something just clicks inside you and you know, like that's the direction you're supposed to go in or you're on the right path or, you know, maybe you've had that in stand up or at some point in your life where you just feel like you're directed in a certain way, mm -hmm. you know, where everything just kind of seems in alignment. It was like, I just knew I was going to do that race. Like I just, I didn't know how, and I hadn't done anything of note, you know, to, to merit getting into it or anything like that. But I was like, I'm going to find a way to do that. Like I've got to do that. And I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I ended up calling up the uh, race director and it was some months before you could even send in your application. Cause I was like, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I, and I needed to like, just, if she was going to tell me like, there's no way I was getting in, then I could at least like put that to bed. So I just called her up and said, you know, I, I read about this race and I can't stop thinking about it and I'd really like to do it, but you know, maybe I'm crazy cause you know, I don't know why I'm even calling you cause I haven't really done very much. Um, you know, and she said, well, what have you done? And I was like, I haven't done anything, you know, I'm barely, you know, I've barely, you know, I'm, I'm just getting back into being fit again. And she had every reason to just say, well, you know, why don't you call me in a couple of years and, you know, we'll see what you've done then and maybe I'll let you into this race. But she was like, well, listen, you know, it means a lot that you called early and uh, why don't you just touch base with me in a couple months and we'll evaluate your training and we'll go from there. So she kind of like left the, a crack in the door open, you know, so it was enough to like give me a little bit of hope, like the pilot light was lit a little bit. And I was like, I'm going to get into that race. You know, I'm going to find a way to get into that race. And I hired a coach and I started training as if I was already in. This was back in early 2008. And uh, I mean, it's a long story, but ultimately she ended up relenting and, and letting me in. And I ended up doing that race in 2008. And I hadn't done an Ironman before that. I tried to do a half Ironman the year before and I didn't even finish. So, you know, I wasn't going in with some crazy like endurance pedigree. So it was, it, was, it was a cool experience, though, and, and I ended up doing pretty well in that race. How well did you do? I got 11th that year. Wow, that's amazing. So, it's yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> you yeah. couldn't finish, and then a year later you get 11th. <clears throat> I got 11th in 2008, and, then, and, and at that time, really, like, we were like the bad news bears. Like, I had no idea what I was doing. Like, my dad came out to, like, <laughs> help me crew and a couple buddies from out here, and none of us knew anything about anything. And, and I just wanted to finish, you know, and I just wanted to, like, not die. So I, I approached it, like, very conservatively. But I ended up exceeding my expectations. So I thought, you know, I wonder what would happen if I spent a year, like, preparing to go back and actually race it, you know, rather than just trying to, to finish and kind of being timid about it. So for 2009, I, I trained my ass off, and I went back 
and uh, and I ended up getting out. I got out of the swim with a 10-minute lead on the next guy, and then I held that lead for the rest of that day through that 90-mile bike. So I finished the first day with a 10-minute lead on the on the field. Ten minutes. Yeah. Holy a huge, shit! A huge lead going into day two. If that was a race car, that would be a ridiculous <clears throat> amount was, of time. It was crazy because. I didn't see anyone else all day, you know, like, cause I was out in front and, uh, my wife and my kids were crewing me actually. So I was like have, having to kind of like tell them what to do and they were great, but it wasn't like they had experience with anything like this, which made me very nervous. Um, so what does a crew person have but, to do? Well, they're in a, each competitor has to bring a van and that van is filled with like all your shit, man. So you got to have all your food that you're going to eat like while you're racing and then and then afterwards and then you know ice for ice baths afterwards and they're filling your bottles and feeding them you know feeding them to you they kind of leapfrog you in park and then you do bottle handoffs so you always have nutrition on the bike and uh and they keep you make sure you don't take any wrong turns like they they're in charge of navigating and just you know and if you have anything mechanically goes wrong with your bike or whatever extra parts so and it's filled with all your clothes because you're going around the island you're not going back to where you started that day. You're going to stay in a different place each night. So you have to have all your stuff with you. So these vans are like packed from floor to ceiling with stuff. Wow. I would have never so thought there's that much involved in racing. Yeah, logistically it's very it's 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 there's a lot that goes into it to pull it off and everything. Now, is there does everybody know how to apply nutrition to these races? Is it like a consensus or do some people try to do them without eating? There's no way you can do it without eating. I mean, you, you got to be, yeah, way. you got to be taking in. I mean, the consensus is you got to take in about two to three hundred calories an hour, and everybody's stomach's different, and the intensity with which you're you're going will depend upon how well you can digest the food. Like if you're on the rivet and going hard, it's gonna be harder to digest calories, and the kind of calories become more important because. You can't. You're not going to be able to eat solid food if you're hammering. You know what I mean. What do you What do you so, eat? Do you eat fruits? <clears throat> so I eat. Um, and what I eat is probably different than than certain other. Everybody has their own thing. Um, I like to stay away from the sugar. Like a lot of endurance athletes run or whatever. You know, use like kind of Gatorade kind of stuff, like the Cytomax and the and that kind of stuff, the real high sugar stuff. Mm -hmm. But when you're going all day, like you're going to be out on a race course for eight or nine hours and then you got to do it the next day, your, your system can't handle that. So I try to eat a more um, like a lower glycemic, higher carbohydrate uh, fuel source. So they have this stuff called Car Carbopro or something called Perpetuum. They're like maltodextrin powders. So it's, it's a, like a low glycemic kind of carp, complex carbohydrate fuel source. And you can put like 900 calories in one bottle. And you can kind of sip off that. It's like pancake batter. It tastes terrible. Huh. But I'll eat that. I'll eat bananas. I'll put like a lightly baked yams are good. Dates are good. And Why, then, how come only lightly baked? Um, because if they're overcooked, that like fries a lot of the nutrition out of them. But you want them oh. soft enough. Like there's, they're almost like... You can squeeze them into your mouth. They're easy to digest when you're riding a bike. You know, you're and they gonna, have you're most of the nutrition up. in them. Yeah, they're they're great for nutrition. Yeah, yams are awesome. What is it that kills the nutrition? I mean, if it breaks down the tissue like that, how come it doesn't kill the nutrition if it makes it all soft and mushy? Well, you just don't. If you if you if you like completely fry it and overcook it, then it becomes like a dead thing, right? Do they know like exactly at what temperature uh, I mean, it I actually get, starts to break get, down? Yeah, I mean, somebody probably does. Somebody I mean, I just, probably does. Yeah, I don't. I've always wondered that about like cooking, uh, like killing vitamins. Like at when, like they right. say, if you lightly saute it, you're okay. Like, are you sure? You know, like when, right. at what, what level does it, 
Is it really that bad to eat them raw that we have to fucking jazz everything up with, with fire and hot metal? Yeah, I know. You know. Well, we're the only animals that cook our food, right? We're also the only animals with TVs. Mm-hmm. We're the only true. animals yeah. that drive cars. That's right. That's right. <laughs> we're the only animals that talk. <laughs> let each uh, other, I let each other disagree know with that. how good shit tastes when yeah. you cook it. We, we talk to each other. That's we go, right. dude, fucking shit tastes good when you cook uh-huh. it. That is the problem. It does taste better. Like, like um... You know, there's there's even vegetable dishes that are d- absolutely delicious because they're cooked, you know? Yeah. But that's just not as good for your body. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's, it seems like there's differing schools of thought on that. I mean, I think that, you know, you have the really hardcore raw foodists who just eat everything raw. And certainly I think it's, it's, it's great to eat lots of raw foods. You know what I mean? Like the raw foods you put in your, in your Vitamix or whatever. And mm-hmm. I eat a lot of raw foods, but I still eat cooked foods. You know, I got I got to have me a little cooked food. Right, just for yeah. the like the feeling of yeah. it, right? Comfort food. Mm-hmm. You know, do you eat pastas at all? I'll eat uh, brown rice pasta, like the gluten free kind. The Ezekiel, glu- you ever have Ezekiel? Ezekiel, Ezekiel bread too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I that. I mean, Ezekiel. I try not to overdo it on the pasta. Um, usually, have more like brown rice stuff instead. Brown rice, steamed veggies. And top it off with a Coca-Cola or That's perhaps right, a yeah. Pepsi-Cola. A Red Bull. A Red Bull. <laughs> a Red Bull. <laughs> Do you take in any caffeine? What are, you, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I've gone back and forth on caffeine. I've, I've gone periods without it, and then I've used it as well. Um, I think that uh, you know when you're using it compulsively and addictively, it's not a good thing. It fries your adrenals and makes you tired ultimately. Um, I think a cup of coffee in the morning is not the worst thing, particularly for an athlete. I mean, it's definitely a performance enhancer. Like if I'm going out for a long bike ride, you know, a nice little strong cup of coffee before my ride, definitely, I can definitely feel the difference. But yeah. I think, it, you know, you can't be just hammering coffee all day long. I like a nice cup of coffee before a podcast and a nice mm-hmm. cup of coffee before jujitsu. Yeah. I like to get a little, but it's really a crutch. It is. It is. It's weak. But and, and I've gone periods when I when I don't you know drink coffee at all and I feel fine and you know then I'll lapse back into drinking it from time to time. Well, I uh, during periods of heavy writing, uh, I will drink a lot of fucking coffee. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had uh, one day where uh, I was working on this this piece, and I was up to like five o'clock in the morning, just just wired with coffee. And then the next day, I tried no coffee. Mm-hmm. And boy, was that a trip. Like, I had a headache all day. Mm-hmm. Like, my body was like, dude, let's just have a cup of coffee. Let's just feed the demon. Just feed that demon. Give it a little. It's like, I was like, I got to be careful. Like, this is how you get addicted to it's caffeine. It's a powerful drug, man. Yeah. And I was setting, I was setting the stage for addiction. I was mm-hmm. like, I, was, I had a headache. Like, I didn't, I didn't want to not have the caffeine. Yeah. You know, so I just it was taking too much in. It was over a course of uh, a few days where I was like really hitting it hard writing. Yeah. You got to be careful because fucking I had headaches. I had withdrawals. But I found that a really strenuous exercise, like if I have ever anything wrong with me, if I have um, uh, jet lag, if I'm uh, just a little out of it from landing somewhere and I can't shake the cobwebs loose, just really intense strenuous exercise just seems to reset the whole thing yeah snaps you right back snaps you right back i i really i really feel bad for people who don't exercise who who try to travel a lot because i hear people tell me that they're fucked up for like two weeks and yeah that's crazy i've been traveling a lot lately and that's the only thing i don't sleep great in hotel rooms and just you know that first night in a new environment or whatever it's always a little off and 
you know, the first thing when I get there, just I've got to work out or whatever. And mm. it's, it's, that's exactly what it is. You got to wipe the slate clean. And then it just, it really helps with the jet lag and the sleep and acclimating and everything. Yeah. It's, and it's one of those things where you just got to start it, just get it going. And then once you get it going, it sort of takes care of itself and you're in the middle of it. It feels great. But it's like that first step of doing that first squat, doing yeah, that, you know, bad. the first anything. It's like, oh, come on. I know. But if you can overcome that, it gives you that feeling like, you know, like lately I've got a lot of shit done that I wanted to get done. And I got this great like feeling because of that, you know, it's got, I've got like momentum, you know, mm -hmm. and whenever I feel like that I'm accomplishing things that I wanted to do and, you know, do like, uh, you know, I set out to do X today and I got it all done. It's like, yes. And like the next day I feel like a little more charged up. I feel like I've got, well, look, I'm doing what I'm trying to get done. I'm getting it done. I'm feeling great about it. And a lot of people, I, I think, don't have that. Uh, they don't build that momentum enough in their life. They don't, you know, pick a few goals, lock onto them, go with it, and then let it build up to something else. Let it build up to more. Let it build up to the next thing. And also, I think that there's this weird equation with exercise because it's so easy to say you don't have time or yeah. you're busy or whatever. And, you know, I go through that a lot. And, and, and it's easy to justify not doing it. But ultimately, when I just quiet that, thought and, and do it anyway, I end up getting more done. Any, everything that I needed to get done ends up getting done. And if I don't do it, I end up wasting time and I'm less productive and I'm not thinking clearly. And yeah. it's, there's a lot of like down wasted time. I think everybody has a different sort of biology. And uh, I know, I know this for sure. People have different needs. So I, I don't say that everybody needs it. You know, I mean, I, I think it benefits everybody, but I don't know that everybody needs it, but I certainly know that I need it. When I don't have it, it makes a big difference. I don't like the way I feel. I don't like the, I don't like getting annoyed at things too easily. I don't like this weird testosterone buildup that happens after a few days of uh, not exploding on something. You know, it's like my body's become most certainly addicted to that release. Yeah. And it knows that it can navigate like social waters better when it's just totally drained of all the, the monkey DNA. You know, if I don't get that out at the gym, I don't feel like I'm as nice a person. I don't feel like I'm as balanced. Yeah. My wife will just kick me out of the house. <laughs> just, you need to go ride your bike or do something. <laughs> don't come back until you do. I have a, a, a crazy gym in my house. It's in the garage. Like, uh, half uh -huh. of the garage was done for a company called Garage Mahal. Oh, wow. So my garage is set up. It's got mats. I've got a grappling dummy that I strangle. I like to do jujitsu on a dummy, and I have a kickboxing bag and ropes to climb. So I, I never have to go anywhere. It's always yeah, right nice. there. So there, that cuts out a lot of the fucking bullshit and procrastination with the 20-minute ride to the gym. And then I'll only have 40 minutes to work out because, right. God, if I just took a nap right now, maybe I would perform better tonight. And maybe I can just do some working out at home tonight. Like, Having it in my house for me is huge. The ability to just go outside and and even when I was broke, I always had a heavy bag, you know, just mm -hmm. tied something to the rafters in the garage. You know, having something like that is uh, to me having just a, a place where you can at least release in some way. You know, get that fucking blowout in some way. So important for maximizing sanity. You know, yeah, I need it. I don't know. Some people, some people I, don't need it. Yeah, I just sneeze a lot. Yeah, right. Brian's fine without it. I'm telling you. He's not even an angry guy. <laughs> um, I think, uh, though, it's, it's, a, it's a great benefit to everybody. People can get through life without that benefit, but mm. you're silly. You're silly to do it. That's what I tell him. I'm like, you're silly. He got, he got really skinny at one point in time, though. Yeah. Brian was, like, way fat at one point in time, and then he went crazy Weight Watchers, 
and uh, he shrunk down to like a tiny man. Yeah. Strange. Where yeah. Are you, where are you at now? Uh, I'm about halfway back to what I used to be, <laughs> <laughs> but now it's more just uh, I eat barely little. Like I eat only at like nine or ten o'clock at night until I go to bed. Uh-huh. But it's it's not like I eat crazy Wait. bad. It's more like I'll go home and eat lean pockets and. Uh, a salad or something. And but then, you don't eat until nine at night. Are yeah. you saying you, don't, you literally don't eat food all day? No, and it's mostly because of Starbucks. Yeah, uh, he just I'll, jacks I'll this himself up with a so Trent a double shot. He gets Trent a double shots, uh-huh. which is basically cancer. Yeah. It's just cancer in a liquid form. So you go all day, all day, and then you hit the lean pockets at night and yeah. just crash out. Yeah. Yeah, it's That's fucking good. super good for you. Yeah. <laughs> You're on the right track, son. <laughs> here's a here's a here's a video of me uh, uh when you were super my, skinny? Yeah, super skinny. It I was, just you got really What did what is the lightest you got? You got below 170, right? Gotcha. You've just been oh, Rickrolled. You don't think this motherfucker <laughs> doesn't want to hear about Rick Rolling? When your name is Rich Roll, how annoying I mean, is that? Every day, man. It's so rude. Fucking day. It's so rude, and it came out of nowhere too. You lived I most know. of your life without a without a Rick Roll, and then all of a sudden, this it, one fucking song. The internet is so bizarre. It's the bane of my existence. You know what's funny too? There's a, uh, you know, this rapper Nipsey Hussle. Mm-mm. No. So there's this rapper named Nipsey Hussle, and he, and he has a song called Rich Roll. Right. Oh. So it's. So it's it's all about the rich role, and the, and so my Twitter feed fills up with all this crazy insanity from people retweeting this song that I guess is a pretty popular song, and so I have to de- you know like I'm getting confused with this this rapper. All Dude, the time. you should embrace it. You should <laughs> yeah. go like the opposite of what Rick Ross did. You should do a music video. It's your to name. That song. Right. You yeah. should claim that I'm the real rich role, son. That's right. You know. And then maybe you could like get hip hop people into being vegans. It's so close to being to to Rick Ross too. It's all yeah. it's all confusing. It is right, you know. It's right there. It's right next door neighbors. Just buy a lot of trench coats and you'll be good. Do you um, uh, fuck around with uh, probiotics? Do you? Uh, yeah, you a little in? bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's there's some um, pretty good like plant based ones. I have this uh, nutrition guru, my buddy um, Compton Rom. He's got a. That's his name. His name is Compton Rom. You should actually. Guy sounds like a Klingon. He would make an incredible guest for you. All right, let's look it up. Blow your mind. You can can watch videos of him on YouTube. Um, He talks about some crazy stuff. Like what? Just like the energy of food, and he's super into like he's he has a PhD in microbiology, and so he's helped me a lot with like my nutrition, and he's been a little bit of a mentor, and he's got a, a startup company called Ascended Health. And he's all about trying to find the best superfoods all over the world and, mm. and provide them um, to uh, to customers. And he's traveling all the time. He's going to like Thailand, all these crazy places, trying to find you know places where he can grow this stuff. And and so I would go to his house, and his house looked like in his kitchen. It looked like a, it looks like a giant meth lab. He's got all these tubes <laughs> everywhere and all this crazy stuff. He's like, oh, you gotta try this. I just got this resveratrol in from. It's from the finest Bordeaux grape oh, skins. Wow. Like stuff's amazing. I'm gonna I'm gonna make up. A, I'm gonna make some powder for you. And he's he's always trying to like help me with my like training and racing nutrition by giving me some of this this crazy stuff. And and so his whole thing is um, he's super knowledgeable about probiotics and and microbes because he studied microbes and like. Um, like the GI tract microbial activity forever and ever and knows more about it than anyone I've ever met. And it's fascinating, man, because, and I, I talk a little bit about this in my book too, that we think we're 
you know, we're made up of trillions of cells, right? And we think we're these sentient beings and we have control over what we think and our decisions and all of that. But at the same time, we have to realize that we're, we have like 10 times the number of our cells in microbes in our gut alone. Like our microbial ecology in our GI tract has like, you know, 10 times the number of microorganisms compared to all of our cells in our entire body. And there's been these studies that have come out and they're starting to come out where they're studying um, the extent to which your microbial ecology in your gut can trigger your nervous system and actually impulse you in a decision-making way. And they've discovered like links between what kind of microbial ecology you have in your gut and the, and the foods that you crave. So yeah, yeah, and, and, and so like creepy. having like probiotics are all about improving the health of your, your flora in your gut, right? And if you have healthy flora, it, it craves and feeds on healthy foods, right? But if you go to Jack in the Box every day or you eat lean pockets every night, then you're going you, to have like a different kind of microbial ecology. Like the microbes that are in that food start to propagate in your gut and that takes over and that becomes the ecology. And they're, they're realizing that that ecology then sends signals to your brain that makes you crave more of those foods. So it's that craving cycle that I was talking about earlier. That's so and it's crazy. Nuts. And it sounds insane, but then I was thinking about the, um, you saw, remember um, the documentary Supersize Me? Yes. So, so Morgan Spurlock, when he first starts out, remember he's like getting sick when he's eating McDonald's, like he can't handle it, like he barfs out the window one day when he's a couple days in, like yes. he's just like cannot manage. He's like, I can't imagine going back to McDonald's. He's only like three days in, he's getting sick all the time. And then fast forward like a couple days later and he wakes up with headaches and he's like craving the food and, he, and his headaches won't go away until he goes to McDonald's. <sighs> so it's like you can make the argument that that could be you know, attributable to a change in his microbial ecology. You know, like now he's replaced his healthy, because I think his wife or his girlfriend at the time was like a vegan chef, he was eating really clean. And then he just starts eating this McDonald's and he, he replaces that microbial ecology in his gut with the kind that feeds on McDonald's and suddenly he's craving it all the time. Could you imagine if they found out that McDonald's actually had implanted microbial biology <laughs> they probably that, they, that they created in a lab that specifically makes you want their shitty cheeseburgers? You just, just fucking crave that cheeseburger. Oh, McDonald's cheeseburgers. That I, I saw a thing online where a dude left one out for six months and it never rotted. Yeah, I saw that too. And I was like, check, please. <laughs> That's it. I'm done. No more. It's Only filet right? of fishes, which are nutritious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and delicious. Yeah, I yeah. think he let out the, it was the burger and I think the fries too, maybe even. I saw that though. Yeah, I, I don't think the fries rot either. Wrote, it's, yeah. it's fucking crazy. It's uh, it's not food. It's like it's just filler. It's weird. I mean, it's like gut filler. Right. I mean, you can live on it for short periods of time. It's better than mm. starving to death. But man, that stuff is fucking bad for you. And mm. it's so common. It's everywhere. I know. And his numbers from that movie, like just after thirty days, his doctor was like, "Yeah, this is bad. Yeah, <laughs> crazy bad." And it took him 
like a couple years to like lose the weight and get back to his baseline. Did it really? That. Yeah, I mean, it said it took him a really long time. Well, that sounds like he's a lazy bitch. Yeah, People maybe. have lost weight quicker than a couple years. But I think it, it wasn't just his weight. It was like his cholesterol levels and all that kind of stuff. Really? Yeah. Did he try to go vegan after that or a heavy vegetable I don't diet? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I know his girlfriend is a vegan chef, so I would imagine he returned to something along that lines, but I don't know. Now, what, what do you think of when you hear guys like Rob Wolf say, uh, eat bacon and eggs for breakfast? Well, I mean, the first thing I would say is that, that, you know, I have a lot of respect for Rob. You know, I think Rob... Great guy. Yeah, and, and I love the interview. And, um, you know, Rob and I have the same goal. You know what I mean? Like, we're both working towards the same thing, which is trying to get people healthier and, and more fit. You know, we differ on a couple, you know, subcategories of that. But, like, I think Rob is, is doing good stuff. I mean, I, I definitely disagree when he says you should eat, you know, bacon and eggs for breakfast. I think that... You know, and I remember your reaction to that. Even you were like surprised. You know that that was that. Well, I've never <laughs> like, heard. Anybody. I've never heard. I've never heard anyone say that myself. Um, <laughs> I've never heard so, anyone say that kale shakes like don't eat kale shakes either. You don't need right, it. Right. Right. So, so there's a lot about paleo that I think is fantastic. You know, they they eschew dairy. Um, they eschew processed foods. I think the only oil that they say is okay is olive oil, in moderation. Um, you know, we disagree. It's a very, like, the idea is low carb, right? Like, it's low carb, kind of high protein. And I think that, you know, that works really well for losing weight and maybe works for some people in terms of energy levels. But my perspective on the whole thing is I'm coming from looking at the healthcare crisis in America where, like, people are just keeling over with heart attacks constantly. You know, I mean, heart disease is rampant, you know, and people are getting diabetes like crazy and you know even children are getting diabetes i mean when we were kids diabetes wasn't really a thing right now like diabetes is a huge thing like obesity and the obesity figures are are insane like 40% of americans are going to be obese by 2014 and childhood obesity rates are crazy and school lunches are terrible and and when i look at it like that like i think that um you know i can't get around the fact that when I read the studies on plant-based nutrition, you know, when you read the China study or you read uh, Dr. Esselstyn's book, uh, Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease, there's a pretty clear correlation between getting rid of the meat and dairy and eating a whole food plant-based diet and your ability to, you know, repair your body from these conditions that are plaguing us unnecessarily. I mean, heart disease is a foodborne illness. You know, you can not only prevent it, you can actually reverse it. And this, this guy, Dr. Esselstyn, have you ever heard of this guy? Yes. Okay, so for maybe your listeners who don't know, he is a, he's a badass, first of all. The guy was, like, he was Yale-educated, and he's an Olympic gold medalist in rowing in, like, 1968. And I think he was a Vietnam, I think he's a Vietnam veteran also. I'm not sure about that. But then he became a surgeon, and he was a, you, you know, the head surgeon at the Cleveland Clinic, which is if you have heart disease or you got heart problems, like that's where you want to go. Like those. The people, Cleveland Clinic. The Cleveland Clinic, yeah. Those so people, if you're feeling like shit, right? Go to Cleveland. He's yeah, they know what's up there. And like back in the '70s, he started to realize that when he treated his patients with a with a plant-based whole food diet, that they were able to like reverse their heart disease without surgery. And he and he was starting to you know he'd look at the the um what do you I'm having a brain fart the uh, what are those the pictures of the heart called the angiograms. So you'd see these before and after angiograms, and you could clearly see, you know, the clogged arteries becoming clear again. 
and, and, it, and it working. And that was not a popular thing, like in the 1970s and the 1980s. And, you know, to a large degree, it's still not popular. But, you know, it didn't make him a popular surgeon there. because What, what you know, they wasn't make, popular? Well, because they make money off, off surgery. You know what Real, I mean? So, so what you're, you're, you're saying the, putting that information out that you can heal yourself through vegetables was not popular exactly. because they literally wanted people to be sicker? It's not that they, they make money no, off no, no, surgery? No, it's not, it's not that they wanted people to be sicker. It's just that the system is set up. You know the way that you profit is by, you know, per performing expensive surgeries. Yeah, that is the way they profit, but it's a big leap between that and being upset at something that heals people. It's not. It's not. I don't think that it was that they were upset. It was that it was new, and there wasn't enough evidence at that time to fully substantiate what he was doing. And you so know, they had their sort of. This is what we do here. And when somebody comes in and they're in this condition we prescribe this procedure. And he was saying, I don't want to do that. I want to do this like intensive diet thing with them and counsel them and see if I can avoid that. And that was not, that was not a popular option. Okay. That, them. that makes more so, sense. So the, uh, essentially the, the doctors had a, uh, a very specific path that they would follow when you had X wrong with you. And that, that path usually led to some sort of a surgery. And he was trying to yeah, avoid well, that with that vegetables. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's still true today. And we were talking about statins. You go in with high you know, cholesterol or whatever, your doctor is most likely going to prescribe you statins. He may say, you know, change your diet or do this, and then you'll come back and, and it doesn't change. And then he'll say, well, it's genetic and you need to take this medicine. When, in fact, you know, I, I, I believe that it, actually you can lower your cholesterol if you change your diet properly. But... But the point, getting back to Dr. Esselstyn, is that you know he was sort of blazing this trail a long time ago, back when you know not too many people were listening, and it's taken him many, many years to kind of get traction with this, and it's taken, you know, the China study and and his book and you know the documentary Forks Over Knives to get people sort of paying attention and listening now, and now there's kind of like an awareness that didn't exist before, and the the scientific studies are are, are pretty compelling that when you you know, you remove the animal proteins, you remove the processed foods, and you remove the dairy, that you can really heal yourself. And well, so, if you um, cut, I mean, is what has has it been proven that that is the order that works? Has it been proven that if you uh, cut out the dairy, cut out the processed food, cut out the meat, specifically on vegetable, uh, live off of vegetables, vegetable nutrition, that that is the only way to go? Or have they done vegetable nutrition and grass-fed meat and natural meat? Yeah, there's plenty of studies out there. And what do they show? What are the differences between? They found that it's the, the, the actual animal protein is the, is the activator. And of? That, of? Of a lot of these congenital diseases. Really? Yeah. And what do they attribute that to? Just even, uh, even game? Or is it fatty yeah, even, meats? Even, even, even game. Well, certainly the saturated fat doesn't help, but there's something about the animal proteins themselves, and in particular, the casein, which is the, the, the protein in the, in the dairy, that, it, that proves problematic. And what does it do specifically to the human body? That's a good question. I wish, uh, I wish uh, Dr. Esselstyn was here to answer <laughs> that. We're starting to get a little too technical. I don't want to speak out of school or say the wrong or, or say the wrong. So thing, what they but. found, though, essentially was that a lot of ailments are started and, and the activator for starting these ailments and diseases is animals. Just so you eat animals, you're going to get certain diseases that you would right. avoid if you just ate vegetables. Right. And the China study originated uh, uh, around 
studying uh, cultures where there really wasn't any animal products or animal proteins in their diet and looking at the, at the extent of, of cardiovascular disease. So there's a certain um, area in China where uh, it had a huge population, like 260,000 people or something like that. The incidence of heart disease was almost zero. Wow. That's crazy. And so zero. it began this long epidemiological study where they really took a hard look at it. And it's interesting. It's really interesting. That's incredible. The number zero. <laughs> That's ridiculous. I don't know if it was zero, but it was close to zero. It was very, very, very low. Do um, that, that's incredible. What? How do they make sure that they get the the proper amount of protein and the proper amount of amino acids? Um, but it, from what I understand, the real issue with the the vegan diet is that you have to be really diligent about the uh, the proper proteins that you get because. Um, all the various pla- like even broccoli has protein in it, but mm-hmm. it doesn't have like a complete protein like like say meat does. But there's quinoa and hemp is a, a very complete protein. But how do you make sure that you get the right amount? Well, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about that, and there's been a lot of sort of debunking of the complete versus incomplete protein oh, argument um, that gets pretty technical. But I think that if you're eating a well-rounded, uh, balanced plant-based diet with lots of different, you know, if you're essentially, if you're eating grains, legumes, fruits and vegetables and all the different colors and, you know, you're rotating them through or whatever, then you're not going to have a problem. It's almost like nature has rigged it. Like you're not going to have a protein deficiency. And, you know, just speaking from my own experience with this, when I first started on the vegan diet, you know, I was nervous about that. I was scared about, especially as I was starting to train more and more. And, uh, my cabinet was like full of all kinds of crazy supplements, just tons. And I was like just mounds and mounds of plant-based proteins in my shakes because I was nervous that, you know, I was going to injure myself or, you know, I was going to get sick or something like that. And over the last couple of years, I've slowly started like weaning myself off of a lot of that stuff where I use very, very little now. And I haven't noticed a difference in my ability to one recover in between workouts or, uh, build lean muscle mass or endurance and, and my endurance is continuing to improve. So I do use, you know, I use hemp protein. I love hemp protein. Um, I usually combine it with like pea protein or, or, or sprouted brown rice protein. Wait, what? Pea what? protein. Pea, pea protein. I had yeah, some today in honor of this podcast. <laughs> That's different from urine therapy. <laughs> I was... Yeah. Peas, man. You know, yeah, green nice. peas. It's very high in protein. So what is the but debunking? I don't even do it. I don't. I don't even do it every day. Like I only do it when I'm training really hard, or I feel like you know what I'm not gonna. Uh, you know, I don't have any lentils in the house or something like that. I'm always trying to source my proteins from whole foods. So the misconception is that you gotta you gotta you know eat tons and tons of protein, and you can only get you know real good protein, quality protein from animal products. Like I just don't believe that to be true. Do you remember when uh, that dude, uh, what is his name, Travis Barker, got in a, a, a plane crash? And he got burned, and he needed oh, a the drummer. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He needed a um, a uh, skin graft, uh-huh. and when he had a skin graft, his body was not healing until he started eating meat again. And when he started eating meat again, it started healing rapidly. Interesting. He said uh, that, that was uh, he was a vegan before that, but he had to stop being a vegan. I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. I don't want to paraphrase this guy's yeah, yeah. story, but uh, I'm pretty sure that is uh, how he said it. 
Is there any possible benefit in your eyes to uh, eating animal protein for as far as performance, physical performance, as far as, uh, I mean, even though it may be the catalyst to uh, triggering certain ailments in, in individuals and that can be documented, is it also possible that there's a benefit to it too? And from a performance perspective? Yes. Um, it's, certainly, it's certainly possible. I don't know. Especially in fast twitch sports? Yeah, I mean, you know, what I do is so long, it's a very specific kind of sport that's very different from jujitsu or sprint running or anything like that. But there are plenty of, you know, athletes out there in various disciplines that, that seem to be that seem to be doing well. But, you know, has there been a double blind, you know, sort of case study on the difference? I don't I don't know the answer to that. Um and I think that that uh you know, for me it goes back to um, the reason that I started doing this to begin with, which was, you know, really long-term wellness and, and, you know, not having a heart attack. Like, heart disease runs in my family. My grandfather, who was a champion swimmer, died of a heart attack in his early 50s. And, you know, I have to constantly remind myself that that was what motivated me to do this to begin with. It wasn't performance reasons. Um, at the same time, if I felt like I was missing something, like if I started to feel like I wasn't recovering or I wasn't improving or I wasn't, a I wasn't able to get stronger, um, or I wasn't feeling good, I would, I would certainly entertain the possibility of eating, of eating meat um, if I thought my health was suffering, but I just I haven't had that experience yet. So, you know, I just try to stick to, I, you know, I don't, I, I don't want to um, speak for anyone else or whatever. Right. So. How do you feel about that idea that everybody's got uh, a different sort of uh, nutritional requirement and that some people really shouldn't eat red meat and some people really should be vegetarians? It's like that it's, uh, you know, based on your blood or bl where your family's origins are geographically, and that's the kind of genes that you're carrying around. Yeah, do I don't know. buy into I mean, any of that? I don't know. I, I don't really buy into any of that. No? No. But hasn't there been evidence that different people that, that grow up in different parts of the world have different nutritional requirements? Like, for instance, people that live in, like, Eskimos well, or Inuits. They don't like to be called Eskimos, apparently. Um, Inuits, uh, they, they have no issues as far as, like, scurvy or anything, but they're not getting any vitamin C. They're no, just they eating also have, salmon. They also have, like, a, they have a relatively high incidence of, of heart disease. Oh, do they yeah, really? Yeah, they do, yeah. Um, they... Um, I thought the whole deal. Oh, is, is it cancer that they, they that you almost never see? Is that and, right? Uh, yeah, in the Inuit population, and they were attributing that to uh, the uh, nutrition that they got from fish oil. Mm. Do you uh, do you substitute with any animal um, like fish oil or anything like that? No, I mean, you know, I think getting your omega threes is is really important. Um, you know, fish oil is really popular with a lot of people, but. You can essentially do the same thing with flax seeds, ground flax seeds. I wouldn't, I wouldn't use flax oil, but like ground flax seeds are something I put in the Vitamix all the time. Why uh, wouldn't you use the uh, actual oil? The oil has been linked to, there's some evidence to suggest that it's linked to incidence of prostate cancer, but for some really? reason the seeds aren't. That's but the so seeds, weird. The seeds have like the case, you know, like they have that casing on them or whatever. Mm -hmm. So you have to grind them up because otherwise they'll just pass right through you. So um, you grind the them up like in a Vitamix? Yeah, yeah. Or you can you can buy them ground, or you can put them in like a a coffee grinder, or like a Cuisinart or something like that. Uh, what about hemp oil? That's supposed to be pretty nutritious yeah, I like too. Yeah, I like hemp oil. And all that yeah. stuff has the same benefits as fish oil. Hemp oil. Well, uh, flax seeds are the closest, from my understanding. Does it have the same um, benefits as far as like uh, joint uh, inflammation relief? Because uh, fish oil is incredible for for that. Yeah, I mean, I think. 
I think it's important when it comes to joint relief and, and looking at inflammation um, is looking at the acidic or the alkaline nature of the foods that you're eating. You know, and 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 uh, animal products, dairy, dairy meat tend to be very acid forming. Like your body has a certain pH, right? It's trying to it's trying to maintain that sort of pH right in the middle. Um, but you know, the foods we eat and the toxins we breathe in the air and stress of our lives or whatever can all put, you know, try to push that one way or the other, and then our body has to kind of go into hyperdrive to bring it back to its normalized state. So the truth is, is that most people that are eating a standard American diet and, you know, living the North American way of life um, are eating a predominantly acidic, acid-forming diet, and, and they're in a state of what's called chronic acidosis. And that's a, that's a state in which, you know, you're constantly bombarding your body with a very acid-based diet, and your body has to kind of go into hyperdrive to bring it to bring it back, and that's an environment where you become very rife for getting injured, for getting sick, and it's also you know an environment that is makes you more prone to those congenital diseases. So when you're eating a more plant-based diet, those are those tend to be I mean not every plant food or whatever, but it tends to tends to be in the balance more uh, alkaline forming, and when you're when you're in a more alkaline state. You're, you're not getting sick, you're recovering more quickly, because inflammation is, is sort of the root cause for a zillion diseases, and it's like the enemy of the athlete, right? You're always trying to like, if you can reduce your inflammation, your muscles are gonna repair themselves more quickly, you're gonna be able to bounce back quicker, you're gonna be able to train harder. It doesn't necessarily make you a better athlete, right, you know, in a short period of time, but protracted over the course of a season, you're gonna have a much more efficient um, and effective training period, and that's gonna, result in performance gains in the long run. So you're essentially saying that all the benefits of taking fish oil, you could get those same benefits with just changing your diet to a vegetarian diet, that you don't need well, fish oil. Well, with respect to fish oil, I mean, the, the purpose of fish oil is to get those omega-3s, those essential fatty acids, right, that are, that mm -hmm. are important. I mean, you know, we... You know, there's a lot of talk about EFAs and the omega-6 and the omega-3, and we get plenty of omega-6 in all the foods we eat or whatever, but the problem comes when the ratio of 6 to 3 is kind of off, and most people don't get enough omega-3 in their diets, and fish oil is great for kind of rectifying that, but it's just, it's the, you know, the, my point is only that it's not the only way of dealing with that. What are the other vegetarian options besides, for, uh, is hemp oil, uh, flaxseed? Yeah, hem hemp oil, and... Um, uh, walnuts, I believe. There's some nuts that are that are pretty high in that. How many do you have to eat? Hemp seeds, not that many. Really? You don't you don't need like a ton of this stuff. With fish oil, um, I've been on like a, a really high fish oil diet for a long time now. Mm -hmm. I take like five five thousand five thousand milligrams a, mil, a thousand milligram pill. I take five of those in the morning and five of those at night. Right. And when I don't do it, I notice a difference in like how my joints feel. Right. Like from doing a lot of jujitsu, especially. I'd you know, be interested if you if you switched it up to um, ground flax seeds, if you felt a difference or not. Yeah, I would be willing to try it, but I always thought that it was like uh, almost like that it was like lubricating. It doesn't make sense really, but that it was like mm -hmm. WD forty doing. So, yeah, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Like how much oil would you need to lube up your fucking joints? <laughs> but that's how I almost I thought it in my head because yeah. there was such a correlation between taking these pills and and, and joint pain relief. I found that uh, I've read a lot of great things about fish oil and studies mm -hmm. on fish oil, and there's absolutely some nutritional benefit to taking it. 
I don't know why you wouldn't take it unless it was because of the fact that you wanted to um, not have anything animal in your body, like mm -hmm. to just subscribe to. Well, I think that you, you have to be careful with the, the, the toxins that are in marine life, too. Are, well, it's all filtered. Then so. you, buy, um, you buy like Carlson's fish oil. That's all. Mm -hmm. they, they test that stuff, and it's all filtered out. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing. You don't have to worry about that in those. The, the, the very high-end companies, they, um, they, they test all their stuff. But I don't just don't see why there would be um, – Unless you were into it strictly from the point of view of staying vegan or introducing no animal into your body at all, it doesn't seem like there's anything that you lose yeah. from taking fish oil. There's, um, I mean, it's interesting because anytime you say this food is good, then there, you can immediately go on the internet and find some reason why it's, it's not, true. or something. It, it, you can yeah. fall in any category of that, and and uh, there are there are some studies out there that show that that the fish oil thing is a little overhyped and. You know, I, it's it's hard to quantify like who's right and who's wrong and all that kind of stuff. Have you ever, have you been to a? Uh, um, there's a there's a guy named Dr. Michael Greger. He's got a site called NutritionFacts.org, and it's amazing. It's yeah. good. The guy has like a zillion. He puts up videos like almost every day, and they're short. They're like two to five minutes at max, and you can look at, you can enter in any food or any disease or whatever, and most likely he has a, a short video on it, and it's all based on peer-reviewed scientific studies or whatever, but I always go to that when I have a question about this food or that. It's, it's hmm. a really good resource. I went to nutrition for the first time when I was like 17, when I was uh, losing weight for martial arts competitions, and I was mm -hmm. fucking my body up, and I was trying to figure out how to monitor you know, my nutrition, how to you know, lean myself out in the healthiest way possible mm -hmm. to drop the most weight before I had to dehydrate myself. But uh, that was Nancy Clark, who's pretty famous for working with athletes. She was in Boston at the time. She's got a bunch of books on that stuff. And I think she's worked with uh, other MMA athletes, too, now. This is, like, way after. I mean, I I must have done it, did it with her in 85 or something like that. Mm -hmm. But that's when I first became – it was from martial arts competition. Before I had to worry about my diet, I didn't I didn't watch what I ate at all. I just ate what I felt like eating, even right. when I was competing. I, I had no emphasis or focus on nutrition. It wasn't until I got older that I – do, you know, I just through trial and error and, you know, just going on a whim and saying, you know what, this I'm going to juice all day. I'm just going to have beet juice and carrot juice and celery juice. And, and I've done that a few times. And you, you, you get this, this a weird kind of energy that you get from that intense plant nutrition that you don't get from anything else. You really don't. It's not the same feeling that you get when you have the satisfaction of a fat ribeye and it's just perfectly cooked and you slice into that medium rare. Mmm. <laughs> oh, so good. It's not that satisfaction, but it is this weird sort of um, a vibrancy that you get. Like you're, inject you're ingesting live... Um, live plants. I mean, essentially, they've just died a short period of time ago. They're still vibrant with, mm -hmm. with energy. And you don't get that from anything processed. And there's a lot of people right. out there that are miserable, that are depressed, that are... And, and I have friends that have shit fucking diets, and their, their way of dealing with it is take antidepressants. Right. And it's like, there's no... You got no exercise, terrible sleep, shit diet, you feel terrible, take a pill, you feel better? Really? You got to clean up all that other stuff, man, and then see how you feel. Right. If you have all these goddamn issues as far as your diet, as far as your sleep, as far as you know, stress levels, 
get clean up that shit first before you go take a goddamn pill. I mean, we're a nation of of crazy people who are uh, addicted to all these weird, new, not natural, non-native chemicals that we're mm-hmm. introducing into our body and that we become addicted to. It, I mean, if we could just look, if you could have a, a, a an overlay of the United States and who's on the influence of any sort of a pharmaceutical drug right now. It's insane. Yeah. It's like the Matrix. Yeah. I mean, it really is. And, and uh, you know, not to spin too much of a new age thing, but, you know, you're, you're right. It, the, you know, food carries a vibrancy and an energy to it. It's very specific. And in, and in my case, you know, it, I've been on this crazy, amazing journey that I would have never predicted. And it honestly started with, like, changing my diet. You know, and, and so I look at it with, like, a respect and a reverence. And I go, this is... This is what catalyzed this path, and it opened me like it opened my heart to the possibility of living differently and, and, and to doing different things than I was doing. And look, you know, people are sicker than they've ever been. We're, the, we're such a prosperous nation, and, and people are just over-medicated. They're fat, they're unhealthy. And for the most part, people are, you know, there's the, what do you think the level of happiness is now compared to what it was like you know, 100 years ago? Do you think we're happier? Do you think we're more unhappy? Well, I think obviously it's in the individuals. I'm happy as fuck. Yeah. I mean, it's But you uh, but the thing is, you're doing what you're meant to be doing. You know what I mean? You're on you're on a path that, you know, you've been blazing for a long time, but you're, you know, you've made something happen that you're passionate about, but most people, unfortunately, you know, don't live that kind of life. That's know, that is that, true, but I think they they could live their own version of it. If they, they could, just, and but, then you can, you could, can be they, happy. But 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 a lot of people don't, and yeah. I know this because I would you know I was a corporate lawyer. I was mm. miserable. I was doing the eighty hour weeks, and I I'd done everything right my whole life. Just you that saying I that I was makes my to do. spine chill. You know, I studied hard. I got into the good schools, and I you know I played the game. You know what I mean? And I and I got to the place that was supposed to be the brass ring. You know, and I was like. What the fuck? You know, I, I was like not happy and I felt lost. And it's, it's like a feeling of being in free fall. And you have a choice. You can, you know, I was making a decent amount of money. So, you know, a lot of people in that situation, they'll just, they'll just gild themselves with stuff they can't afford. Like, well, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll lease that car that's a little bit out of my reach. and Reward move myself. Into the, yeah, exactly. Because when you're unhappy, you know, you need something to solve that, that wound. And then mm. you do that long enough and then you're stuck and you can't make a change or it becomes too difficult and you know i think it was it was henry david thoreau that said you know, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation, quiet desperation and yeah. i think that's very very true it's, it's one of my favorite quotes and ever and it's it's sad man it's sad and you know i look at you you've built this thing here you're doing what you love you spend your day laughing i didn't build shit know, brian built all yeah but this. i mean you're you're like you're you're like you know in your juju you know what i mean yeah and most people, hey, most people aren't. Man. I think that's okay. So, he's, he's, he knows Jews. Yeah. You're allowed to use that. <laughs> yeah, no, most people aren't, but they could be. You know, they could um, be. But I think one of the it's hard. It's hard. I mean, you think it's hard to change? You know, your diet. I mean, try you know overhauling your entire lifestyle. Yeah. You know what oh, I mean? believe it's me. Very, very difficult. Yeah. And scary. It's terrifying. And you know, and we live in a fear-based culture. You know. Um, uh, but I did it. You know, I went from being a martial arts instructor to being a stand-up comedian mm-hmm. and got my car repossessed, went broke, lost all my credit card. I mean, I just was a, a loser for, like, years. But you were willing to, to double down to do that, you know? I just didn't want to get brain damage. Yeah. I saw a future in kickboxing, and I was like, you know what? This is uh, this this stuff is not good for your fucking head. And I was meeting guys at the gym that I knew were, were punchy, 
And uh, I just was too many. I did too many hard sparring sessions where uh, I never got knocked out in sparring, but uh, I definitely got my bell rung before. Um, and uh, I got hit with hard shots before. We would we would trade, you know. But I, I I worked out at a particularly uh, heavy duty gym, and these they you know it's different gyms have different philosophies as far as sparring. And our gym's philosophy was you put on big gloves and you fucking go at it. There was mm-hmm. there was it was basically kickboxing bouts with big giant gloves on and headgear and shin pads and stuff like that. And uh, I knew that it was not good for you. So for me, it was like I had this crazy, like, I got to jump ship. I got to jump because this is a path of deteriorating brain function. Mm-hmm. Like I would uh, have moments where I'd be lying in bed. And it wasn't even like there was a, a, like a goal. Like it wasn't, there was no UFC back then. So it was just kickboxing. And in my opinion, like mixed martial arts is a, it's first of all, it's, it's just way more options. And just because there's more options, you can protect yourself, period. There's no, I mean, you could say that mixed martial arts fighters have damage too. And I'll tell you, some do, but there's some that don't have any. There's some that rarely get hit, and that is possible as well. And the, the ability to mix up between the striking and the grappling and the fact that you have so many different options. If you have uh, a creative and spontaneous approach as well as being able to drill things over and over again until they become zen, when you reach a certain level, you can get away with way less damage than any boxer does. Like you'll see uh, certain guys fight in uh, a five-round UFC fight and take very little damage, like a George mm-hmm. St. Pierre. Right. Because he's so fucking good and his plan is so good. But with boxing and kickboxing, you're standing in front of each other and you're hitting each other, period. Mm-hmm. And there's no takedowns and there's no, there's no rear naked choke for the finish in the first round. There's none of that. There's, there's slamming bones into your head trying to shut that melon off. You know, yeah. and ultimately for me, I knew that I had to do something differently. I was, mm-hmm. I was terrified and there was no future in it, you know, but I, but because of that, I developed a, a real compassion for understanding like how difficult it is. I was 21. I had no, uh, children. I had no, I mean, they'd repossessed my car, so I had no car anymore. It was like, it was really like I could live on the cheap. Mm-hmm. I could scratch by. But if you're a person who is trying to change careers and you have a family and you have a mortgage and you have, you know, a car that you lease and you got to, you know, pay for your kids after school activities and like mm-hmm. that is unbelievably hard. Very hard. So and the, then at the same time, it's like, you know, life's short, man. And it's true. You know, most people yeah. are not, are not doing what they, what they want to be doing or maybe even what they're supposed to be doing. So yeah. what did you do? How did you, how did you uh, just exit yourself out from the machine? Well, I, I had, uh, you know, I left corporate law firm life and started my own, my own little thing. And, you know, because I just couldn't, I couldn't live that way anymore. What little thing were you talking about? Uh, just a solo entertainment law practice. Um, and you know, made a lot less money, but was able to control my time. And that was just a little bit before, you know, I changed the diet and started getting back into fitness. But because I had control over my day, because I didn't have a boss anymore, I could set up my work schedule the way that I want, like Tim Ferriss style. Then, uh, it allowed me to be able to, to um, train at odd hours that wouldn't necessarily flow with a, somebody who had a, you know, a nine-to-five job. But I was able to structure my life so that I could make that possible. And, and it, again, it was just feeling like you know, when you feel like you're guided to move in a certain direction, in a certain path. You know? When your car was repossessed and you were starting to you know, do stand-up and move into that world, I mean, I'm sure you felt like, this is what you wanted to be doing. This is what you're supposed to be doing, even if there was no kind of real-world material affirmation of that initially. 
It was there was a lot of uh, apprehension. There was a lot of thinking that I was fucking up and I was doing the wrong thing. I mean, it was uh, there was not much confidence. It's certainly not like uh, I knew this was my path. Like I had an idea that this was something that I could do, but I was terrified because I sucked at it too. There was no evidence that I could ever be really good at it. You know, when I quit uh, teaching martial arts, I mean, I was teaching at Boston University. I had my own school. And um, I was uh, was making a living teaching Taekwondo, and then you know I'd deliver newspapers sometimes in the morning. I would uh, occasionally take like uh-huh. newspaper routes. Um, I, I to to switch from that, give up training and teaching entirely altogether, to 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 to, to do something that I wasn't very good at. It was fucking terrible. Uh-huh. That was a terrifying move. That would, I would only make when I was 21, and you know when you're 21, you're all fucking cocky. If by you know this like if I was going to do that in this day and age. Is that really one of those old school alarms right outside our door? <laughs> you dumb motherfucker. But it would be very hard for me to do something like that today. Well, yeah, it's different when you're 21. But I mean, is, you know. Does anybody pay attention to car alarms ever? I don't know. Oh, open yeah, the door, Brian, and make it louder. That's a good move. Yeah, your instinct is never, <laughs> oh, my God, somebody's stealing that car. No, your instinct <laughs> is this cunty fucking alarm <laughs> is ruining our conversation. Is anybody, I, I in, is anybody in, in stand-up good in the beginning? No. Because no. I've heard that. Everybody says they were, you know, they were awful when they, they started. They can think whatever. that they're good. What? what are you doing, man? You shut my mic off. Mic go off. Uh-oh. There you go. Um, you, you might think you're good. I mean, I've heard people say that they were good right from the very beginning, but they're either full of shit or they were stealing jokes. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense that you were good right from the beginning. Unless you had some experience in something else before. One th- one group of people that were actually pretty decent, like not bad for beginners, was uh, Alcoholics Anonymous people. Because uh-huh. uh, this is driving people on uh, iTunes I know, I know, fucking crazy. crazy. I guarantee you. You want to take a, a quick right five-minute break? You might keep yeah. going, right? How long do these things keep going uh, for? I don't know. We'll just pause this, folks. We're going to pause this for a couple minutes okay. and, and let this shit stop. All right. Thank you. This, ladies and gentlemen, we're very vulnerable, folks, technically. Uh, but we were in the middle of talking about... This show's off air. There it goes. Um, we were in the middle of talking about um, changing your life and uh, changing, you know, changing your diet, changing your path into something that you love. That's something that we stress on this show like like as much as possible because it's something that someone doesn't tell you when you're growing up in the most formative period of your life they don't say you you're different than me everyone's different you have to find what you're drawn to find what you love and then go chase that i love when i see uh is this mic on brian it's it's working because i don't hear anything um young people that like latch on to something that they love doing when they're when they're young you know whether it's playing the guitar or whatever it is that they're just passionate about and then they just become very self-directed about it and I'm like so jealous I wish I had when I was a kid I wish I had that you know I never I spent my whole life kind of doing what I was supposed to and didn't never really stop to think like well what do I what do I want or what makes me happy or what am I passionate about it wasn't really just wasn't really part of my equation you know and that just seems so wrong it's like (laughs) yeah it's terrible and 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 it, it, it almost like it doesn't even matter what it is. You know, everybody has something inside them that they probably, you know, 
love doing or could be passionate about or could be good at or whatever. And, and for you whatever reason, everyone, do you think there's some people I don't that think, are ditch diggers? No, listen, I think that no, look, not everyone is, you know, can be an NBA basketball player or whatever. Right. So not everyone is innately gifted, but I think everybody inside, inside of themselves has something that makes them happy. And I think that if you pursue what makes you happy without getting so caught up in how am I going to make money doing this, or there's no career in it right. or whatever, and living a little bit more faith-based with what you're doing and focusing more on the passion that, you know, we'd probably be better, we'd probably be better off. And I think people would be happier if that was a priority. There would also like a, be a like lot a more people priority. trying to borrow money. There would be a lot more people I mean, trying yeah, to borrow probably. money. <laughs> yeah. Well, Hollywood's full of these kind of people. Of course. Yeah. There'll be a lot more people yeah. that need a loan to try to get through this next thing that they're trying to fucking get Kick, launched. Kickstarter would have got yeah. invented a long time ago. Yeah. Kickstarter <laughs> changed the whole game of begging. Yeah. You know, it made it kind of cool. Yeah, exactly. You, know? you, you figured out a way to put a name to it that makes it seem, oh, it's, I'm just kickstarting my business. Did you see, I just saw, I tweeted this yesterday, that this this company came up with this new light bulb that you can control your, your iPhone app. Ooh. And you can, you could, you put all these light bulbs in your house and you can do all this crazy stuff with them, like change all their colors. Yeah, like that, like change the colors. Wow. And have them turn on, have them like, you know, on timers that go off and on. It was, it's pretty cool, but they wow. raised a ton of money on Kickstarter. No shit. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, it's a brilliant idea. And you, you know, you, there's all sorts of different offers that companies give to people that you can actually become a part of. Like uh, Cocaine Cowboys. Didn't he do something like that? Where he? No, no, no. That wasn't that. It was the Union. The guys who did the Union. Uh, his next film that he's doing, he, um, he got people to buy it in advance on Kickstarter right. instead of just like asking for money. He said, listen, I'm going to, you, you're, you'll get the first copies of this film. You know, right. I think, yeah, the successful product ones are all, they're almost pre-orders. So they're able yeah. to raise a lot of money because you're going to actually get the product. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, it's such a, it's like the people that enjoyed the first film can actually fund and finance the second one. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, it's really cool. It you know, cool. if you look at it that way, it's really cool. I mean, it we live cool. in, we live in the most strange times. This is a, a, a really uh, things like that, you know, are just like you can do that. Yeah, you can do that, and you can make a lot of money. Like, look at these fucking um, the Coney guys. Yeah, that made millions of dollars mm. off this. Uh, where did that go, by the way? That fucking was the quickest <laughs> in and out fad. That Coney fad, man. That's almost like an alien blip. Like they just tested us for retardation, like well, a, our, a pH it, test from the from the heavens. In the same way that technology is accelerating. Our attention spans are sh are shrinking. You know, it's yeah. amazing the rapidity with which stuff comes and goes now. Like it's immediate. Like it be, it could be the biggest thing ever, and then it's immediately forgotten. Could you imagine though Joseph Coney's email box? It's like nothing, nothing, nothing. <laughs> millions of emails, millions yeah. of emails. Stop. It was just nothing, viral nothing, nothing. He's not getting any emails today. Joseph Coney doesn't even get Nigerian scammer emails today. That, that was just viral um, marketing for Peter Pan on Blu-ray. Yeah, tell me. We'll and yet, at the you. same time, you do this podcast and you hold people's attentions for three hours a day, man. That's ridiculous. You know? they, these people need to get outside. <laughs> Stop listening to this fucking show. Go mow your lawn, son. Well, they're probably mowing their lawn as they're doing it. A lot of people do it while they're working, which is cool as fuck, because yeah. then they get to be uh, a part of a conversation instead of just be sitting there, you know, screwing widgets yeah. together. You know? I got on my long training rides. I just, I stack it with podcasts because I can I can't if I'm going out to ride my bike like for a long day, like eight hour training ride or something like that. I can't listen to music the whole time. You know, I'd go insane. So I, I, 
I'll listen to your podcast, a couple other podcasts, and I just stack, and I just lose myself in the conversation. So for me, it's like the longer the better, man. I love it. Yeah, we. But when we first started out, everybody was telling me we were crazy for doing an hour. Ari Shafir was constantly like, "You gotta, you gotta, you gotta definitely edit it. Can't have more than an hour. People are not gonna listen." I go, "Well, how about this? Don't listen to the rest. They can just shut yeah. it off at any point in time." Right. Like, what fucking difference does it make, son? This is ridiculous. For two hours, three hours, you don't have to listen. Like, do I get bummed out that a radio show is in, uh, four hours long and I only was in my car for an hour? No, you listen to whatever the fuck you want to listen yeah. to. It's, I think the, the key is just giving people content, just keep keeping it coming. Yeah. Like, that's the most important thing is the momentum, keeping it coming, and then you become a part of people's uh, sort of daily routine. And when you become a part of people's daily routine, then you have an obligation and a responsibility to keep it coming. Right. You know, because like now you're, you're bumming a bunch of people out. It's not as simple as you put something out and they enjoy it. It's you don't put it out and you bum them out. Like, what the fuck? This is fucking angry with you. Fucking Joe Rogan podcast. Expectation. Yeah. I but mean, it's, you're, you're, you're making junkies and yeah. you, you have to feed those junkies. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems like... Yeah, but you, you're keeping the quality really high. I mean, that, that David Seaman interview was amazing. You know, I'd never, I'd never even heard of that guy. I was like, who, why is he having like, a guy who's running for Congress on his show? I just thought, and I listened to it. I was like, that is amazing. I immediately started following him. He's coming and, back. Uh, He's doing it again. Fascinating guy. And it, it's a real interesting... I was thinking about it the other day because he's the first guy from like that generation to be in this sort of, you know, a political candidate yeah and uh and the generation gap gap is very palpable that you know, kid can be president from a very different place and his priorities and perspectives and all of that are so just in the way he speaks are so different from what we're used to yeah you know what i mean well he's smart he's a smart kid he's like 26 years old but it's beyond smart that as shit. It's, it, he is but it's it's beyond that too because you know he is interested in things and is talking about things that mm-hmm. no one in you know the traditional political stratosphere want to get anywhere near right you know? well the could either he'll wind up being killed or yeah. he'll be the new king right either way we got your back son <laughs> uh you know i i think it's uh, it's it's very important that the only way this future is going to be any brighter is if it's very important that we uh, enlighten young people coming up to alternative passive thinking by you telling your story that you had gone down the exact correct path you know, in, in some sort of a predetermined pattern to success, which would equal happiness supposedly for you. And then reaching that, that point of success, you, you're not speculating. You know, like you were one of the rare people that actually made it to the end of the game and went, this is horseshit. Okay, let's get out of here and you can't get trapped here. Let's get mm-hmm. the fuck out of here and try something different. It has to be done. That message, when that message is in some kid's earbud when he's on the train, you know, headed to his job or, or headed to school or whatever, that, that message can resonate and change thousands of people's lives. I have had more fucking people come up to me in the past two years and say, your podcast changed my life than, uh, than, any, than any one thing that people have said to me other than fear is not a factor. They probably said that yeah. more yeah. than anything else. But that that key that fucking theme keeps happening, and a, a, a lot of it is nutrition, and a lot of it is exercise, mm-hmm. but a lot of it also is just this understanding that you're not alone in thinking like that that the standard path seems like shit. Mm-hmm. You're not alone in that. It's it's you're, there's a lot of other people like us out there, and we could all get pigeonholed into some ridiculous patterns that were created w- without 
individual personalities and unique traits and artistic intentions and qualities in mind. None of that stuff in mind. They were just, this is a plumber. This is a vacuum salesman. This is, go down that path, son. You'll be an electrician. And, you know. And we're, we're disconnected from our own heartbeat. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like, you, you could say, well, you know, most people are like, well, I don't even know what I like. You know, it's like we're not, we're disassociated from, like, a higher version of ourselves. You know, We've a more become. authentic version that wants to come out is locked down so deep that it's almost like the key is, you know, unfindable. Well, we've become a, uh, we've become a victim of our own culture, of our own creation. The culture of our own creation is a culture of predetermined patterns and, and obligations and things that you just must do that a lot of them suck. And we've become a prisoner to that. Mm -hmm. And this idea that if you do those things that somehow or another you will be happier is ludicrous. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But then there's also you have to pay your fucking rent, and you yeah. you want to drive. Well, cars mm -hmm. is expensive, gas is expensive. Well, what are you gonna do? You gotta you gotta get a job, son. Mm -hmm. It's finding the, the the ability to pay yourself, you know, feed yourself, and on top of that, still pursue a dream. That's the hardest thing. But you you gotta, you gotta do it before you develop any fucking mm -hmm. baggage. Live lean yeah. when you're young, man. If so I could have done one thing when I was young, it was just to live as lean as possible and keep all those doors and options open so you don't get stuck in some place you don't want to be and, and, and make it more difficult for yourself to get out. Yeah, I got out, but I could have easily just not gotten out. I know a lot of people that didn't. I know a mm -hmm. lot of people that are postmen somewhere that really want to be a rock star. You know, mm -hmm. there's a lot of a lot of weirdness in this world. And the, one of the most depressing things to be around is someone who never went for it. Yeah. You know, the, the people that you know that never went for it, that had an idea in their head, whatever it is, be an author, whatever it is, whatever it is, they just never chafe. I want to be a longshoreman. I want to be a fucking mm -hmm. professional fisherman. I want to I want to fucking do what those crab guys do on that crazy show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> those guys go fishing for crab just to fucking know I'm alive. If you have that thought in your head and you don't do it, you're going to you're living like a bitch, man. You don't want to you don't want to have those regrets, man. It's the saddest remember. thing in the world, isn't it? Yeah. The 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 feeling that you get when you're around someone who just stayed on the couch. Mm -hmm. Just never pursued anything artistic anything physical anything anything mm -hmm. for me it always feels like like one of the big things of, of happiness is like seeing improvement either seeing improvement in, in stuff that I'm working on like comedy stuff or seeing improvement in um, my uh, my jujitsu or seeing improvement in playing pool anything to me it's like if I don't see improvement in things then I, I get like I get really bummed out. Like I feel like I'm not doing anything. I feel mm -hmm. lazy. I feel like I'm just getting by. Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm if I go four or five days where I'm not like at least actively working on improving some aspect of my life, I feel totally lazy. Right. What's going on here, Brian? Haunted. It found out that Matt Danzig was coming. Is that what it is? Yeah. yeah. Why? Why is it? Why would that make it haunted? Huh? Because his his podcasts are haunted. Oh, his podcasts uh, are haunted. That's right. He's had two podcasts that fucked up. Two? One, Ari, Ari's podcast. He did this long podcast with Ari Shafir, and uh, it got deleted. Uh -huh. And they couldn't, retru we couldn't retrieve it. And then mine, which just uh, crashed recently. So That's he may be podcast haunted. Is he gonna come, he's coming back he's coming tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, tomorrow is going to be uh, a crazy day, ladies and gentlemen. We have uh, not just powerful Mac Danzig. We have Billy Corbin, who's the uh, director and producer of Cocaine Cowboys. 
he's coming in with cool. mad flavor, a.k.a. Joey Diaz. <laughs> so Joey Diaz and the director of Cocaine Cowboys. And Joey's on the phone with me yesterday. He was dropping knowledge. He was telling me he was warming up for this. He goes, let me tell you something, dog. I'm going to tell people shit I ain't never told before. I'm going to tell people shit I ain't never told before, Joe Rogan. <laughs> I'm going to go back to my uncle. We can call him in Miami. He's 70 years old. He'll tell you what the fuck happened. And he started going off and screaming at me on the phone. After he screamed at me for leaving a message, I, I fucked up and left a voicemail message on his machine. If you leave a message on his machine, he will go crazy and call you up and motherfuck you. Why? Why? He doesn't, he doesn't like to listen to messages. Oh, yeah. But he gets angry at you. Uh -huh. So if you call his voicemail, it goes, what the fuck did I tell you? No messages. Do not leave a message on this fucking phone. So if you leave a message, he goes bananas. Even if you have like... Tell him to turn that... You can turn that off, can't you? No, nope, he's Joey Diaz. Oh, yeah. He's right. a fucking ape. He doesn't know what's going on. Unless you have on. cash. <laughs> unless you have a job. Yeah, that phone might as well be solid wood. He doesn't All know right. what the fuck the buttons do. <laughs> it shuts off when it runs out of batteries and he hands it to somebody. Wow. <laughs> he's getting better at that, though. He sent me text messages before and I stuck it in his face. I go, what the fuck is this? You sent me a text message? For the longest time, Joey just had a pager. When everyone had uh, cell phones, he still oh, had a pager. God. Yeah, he didn't have a cell phone until like the 2000s. I'm not bullshitting either, man. I know. Joey, Joey Diaz had a did, you, did he have a pager when you met him? Yeah. He might have had a pager when you met him. Yeah. Yeah. He kept a pager deep, deep into his history. Yeah. When a lot of people had given up the ghost on the pager. It's weird how these things just haven't been around that long, and yet you mm. can't even imagine not having them anymore, you know? Do you remember the transitionary period where a lot, of, uh, a lot of folks in the urban community had those little pagers that would send messages? Yeah. And you could send, like, a little message to somebody. Yeah. Meet me at the club. Uh-huh. The black folks were like the, way ahead of the curve on that. <laughs> they were way ahead of the curve. I never thought that would have uh -huh. caught on. Like, what are you guys doing? You're texting? Why are you texting? Why you would you do I didn't that? even say yeah. texting. It wasn't even called texting. I was like, you're writing each other letters? Like, why, do you, why right. are you doing that? And they were like, well, it gets loud in the club. I was like, oh, it gets loud in the club. That makes sense. <laughs> That's what started it all. Yeah, for real. That's too what started loud. It was too loud in the club. People Fast get, forward to the iPhone 5. Well, not only that, but a lot of times, uh, <laughs> there's another thing that is a phenomenon in the urban community. They like to talk on speakerphone. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know what the, what's up with that. <laughs> I've talked about this on this podcast, and people have accused me of being racist. <laughs> I'm and not touching that. Right after they accused me of being racist, I went to Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles, and there's a dude standing right in front of the place talking on his I'm phone like it. this. Oh, hell no. Oh, hell no. The other dude was talking loud. You could hear the other dude, like, <laughs> super loud. And he's, maybe he, like, heard the Cheryl Crow story and he's worried about brain tumors. Uh -huh. But I don't think so. I think there's something going on. Like, they even had a, a commercial. Remember that commercial for Boost Mobile? Uh -huh. They would have their cell phones like, where you at? They would talk yeah. into it. They're not doing this. They're not treating it like a white person phone. No, they're holding it. Where <laughs> you at? Where you at? That was, the, that was the commercial. They were doing it urban style. It's a weird thing. <laughs> so I guess that didn't work. You know, yeah. cell phones and clubs. It's when you're on speakerphone all the time. It's yeah. fucking, can't hear shit. It's fucking chaos. Right. So... Imagine, I mean, remember, I used to have jokes in my act about how text messages were stupid. Before, like in 2005, my Showtime special, I totally mocked text messaging. Like it takes you four presses to, to get an S. I was like, this was before anybody had keyboards. Yeah. People would like, they were starting out with that crazy shit where you would have to press oh, four yeah, times to, to get, get an S. Letter, right. Yeah. That was ridiculous. You remember that? Mm -hmm. I remember Dude, that. we're dinosaurs. I remember when the texting plans were like 25 texts per month, 50 texts per <laughs> month, 100. <laughs> yeah, if you've got a girlfriend, you go through that in a day. Yeah. 
you know, and girls now, love you know, texting. People are dying and crashing their cars because they just can't keep their fingers off it. Oh, yeah. It's a real yeah. issue. It's a real issue. They say um, it's one of the worst distractions ever, that you literally cannot focus on your phone. Like It's like zooming in on something like that and intently yeah. is like, it's so, in it's so non-peripheral. You don't right. see anything peripheral. You're completely concentrated on that thing. Right. Some lady almost ran into me at the mall the other day because she was on her phone. Mm -hmm. She was doing this and she looked up and I was like right in the crosswalk. Right. People are fucking nuts, man. They're nuts. We're, and we've created this weird culture, again, that we're a prisoner to. And one of the prisons is technology. I mean, mm -hmm. we, we benefit from it, no question about it. But we are also locked into this really weird symbiotic relationship with it. Like, I, am, I do not leave my house without my phone, man. If I, yeah. I, if I don't have my phone on me, I feel weird. Yeah, it is a it's weird like, feeling. Where's my fucking phone? Shit! And I'll panic. Even though it's like, all you have to do is you buy a new phone, you stick it in your computer, all your contacts come up. It takes right. you, I mean, if you lost your phone, it's not the most, but you're like, how am I going to call people? Yeah. I'm alone. <laughs> I'm out here on my own with no, no tether. Marooned it's like, in the yeah. desert. Yeah, we're afraid to be in a fucking town without a cell phone. I mean, I feel bizarre. If I leave, if I if I'm in a town, like say, and uh, it's uh, like a place where you could walk around, and I leave my phone in my hotel room, and then I'll go downstairs and I'll just walk to a restaurant, and sit right. down. I feel fucking strange. Like I feel like I can't talk to anybody right now. It's worth. I mean, it, it and it gets even crazier with all the social media. Like you have this compulsion yeah. to like check Twitter and see what certain people are saying that. You don't even, these are people you don't even know. Well, some people like, have it hooked up to their I, phone where they get a, a text message every time someone tweets any sort of a mention of their name. Uh, yeah, that's, that's insane. Doug Benson has that. So does Dom Herrera. I, I tweeted an Instagram the other day, a picture of Dom Herrera in his sexy pool moves when he's shooting pool. And uh, it showed up on his phone. I'm like, you, <laughs> you silly bitch. You need to turn that shit off. I'll have people just, oh, I think I already have. Do that. Now your phone's going to blow up, Don Marrero. Well, your, know. your mention know. feed is insane. It just scrolls like crazy yeah, you all can't day long. Keep, I don't you know. Can't yeah, I mean, you can't read shit. all that stuff. I read as much as I can, but the problem is some people think I read it all. And they're like, did you respond to my text? I'm get mad at you. Did you, you know, respond you know. to my tweet? I'm like, do I respond to what tweet? You want me to really go into your thing? And there's a lot of people here, dude. Just yeah. You had the chance to say it again right there, and you didn't. You just right. said, did you respond to my tweet? Do you respond to fans? Do you not respond to fans? Is that what's up? Oh, the negative approach. I get it. The guilt move. Always, always good. I was hearing Howard Stern talk about Twitter, about how many people are nasty to him on Twitter and how evil they are. Um, I don't get that. I really don't Twitter get that much. Twitter is pretty overwhelmingly positive. Yeah. For the I most get, part, compared to other platforms that, yeah. that I found. I get overwhelmingly positive. I mean, there's always a few cons. Mm -hmm. But it's so easy to block them. Why, why even bring them up? Right. And it's rare. It's, it's just really rare. And I think a lot of people on Twitter, like you look at their names, it's like that's their their real name. It's 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 more than uh, say message boards. Message boards, I've always felt like we have a, a message board on JoeRogan.net, and uh -huh. I've always felt like part of the problem is the anonymity that it provides. In a way, it's good because people can talk about things, especially like people that have sensitive jobs and people that are at work. They can get away with talking about things, and there's no way to Google them and, and data reference their name. But in a way, it's bad because people say shit without any – they, they don't worry about the, uh, the, the social repercussions of looking in a person's mm -hmm. eye and calling them a, a cunty douchebag. You know? And then you're like, what the fuck, man? You know, like that, that negativity is gone. Right. So it's just these verbal barbs. 
I think with Twitter, like a lot of times, it's the people of their photo, that's their, their, you know, it's not everybody, but a good percentage. Like I'm looking at my, um, my Twitter feed, like, and is, most yeah. of these are people's the names. Real people. Yeah. There's a few that aren't. Anonymous. There's a few like weird names, or, you know, it's like maybe like one of them's Devo. Bitch, you're not Devo, you know? And it's Devo right. is me, is his uh, Twitter name. You're not Devo, son. I mean, you might like right. Devo, but you're not Devo. Who are you really? Right. His probably name is Mike Callahan or whatever the fuck his real name is. Um, when I think um, the the more we have that, the more we have like a, a sort of a transparency about like who like I think people are less likely mm. to just lash out and have it become super negative. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I think um, like a couple of weeks ago when you had you retweeted like a video I made of a kale shake or something like that, we had a back and forth over like yeah. kale Vitamix or something like that. So so you retweeted this stupid little video that i made of just me making a, a drink after a run and i got slammed with comments death squad army in full effect <laughs> just like if i saw that guy in the street i would i would sh you know stab him in the face and like what it's like the most benign thing ever stab I'm you like, in the face for making yeah, a, a yeah yeah exactly yeah really <laughs> there were some i mean there were some that were fine too but i was like suddenly out of the blue like all these comments popped up so it's it's clearly as a result of you know you having this huge following or whatever and Why it exposed it to have you though for your like, dietary choice people are very threatened <laughs> by the kale joe <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. why they don't know what to do with me yeah. because I enjoy the kale. I love the kale. I'm a, I'm a big fan of of pure vegetable it's meat just, meals. It's just food. It is just food, know. but the um, people need to be on a fucking team. Okay, it's now they're in yeah. the death squad army, and if if they feel like they're being attacked by vegetarians, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they'll fucking throw out all their vegetables. <laughs> um, I, I don't know why you know we all can't just get along. To quote Rodney King before he mm. drowned on PCP in a swimming pool. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it seems to me that uh, the real problem is annoying people. It's, an, it's not vegetarians. It's not meat eaters. It's not. Yeah. The real problem is annoying people. Uh, people that are annoying, that, that's the issue. It's not your different ideology, your different desire. I know people that legitimately really love classical music and they can't wait to get home to put on headphones and sit there in front of some shit that to me would just drive me out of my head. Mm -hmm. I, I can listen to classical music for a couple minutes and then I go, you know what I could be listening to right now? Led Zeppelin. Mm -hmm. Why am I listening to this stupid shit when I can hear a whole lot of love? You know, to me, I, I don't like classical music. But it doesn't mean that it's not awesome to you. you know. It's the same thing with dietary choices, the same thing with the way you dress. Have at it, man. You just yeah, en enjoy your life. We've lost a little bit of uh, tolerance. Acceptance and tolerance. Of, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's like, one of the dumbest things to lose. It's, you know, that diversity is a good thing. It's huge. You know? So why, you know, why are you, you know, taking a dump on somebody else's preference that has nothing to do with you? By, yeah, and by the way, tolerance and acceptance of people benefits your life very much directly. It benefits the way you feel. The more tolerant and accepting you are of people and the more, you, don't, you know, you're just cool with people, the, the more positive interactions you'll have. The more positive interactions you'll have, the better your, your, your feeling in life will be. And that's like a real direct thing. For sure. And that ne the, the negative shit that a lot of people project at people for no reason, what it really is, is your own shortcomings yeah, it's, magnified through your personality traits. It has nothing to do with the person it's being projected upon. Very rarely does. Very rarely does. You just choose them to, for your ire, the target of your bullshit. But the reality is you wouldn't have that bullshit. Like I tried to explain this to a guy once who was a heckler. I, and I, that, that I was like, You're, you have to be a loser. There's no way you can be a winner. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, do you, do you really think that Michael Jordan would go to a comedy club and heckle? Do you think anybody who'd be really good at anything mm. would interrupt a performance and just try to interject? No, you, you have no appreciation for things that are good. Like, this is a, this is a, 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 a dire moment for you where you need to realize this. Anybody who would try to fuck up someone's time, if you're trying to fuck up their enjoyment, you're trying to fuck, you got something wrong with you, man. Yeah. You got something wrong with you. 100%. There's no way around it. You have to be fucked up. And if you weren't that way, you would be happier. Believe it or not. Like, that energy that you put out is palpable. The energy that you put out being an asshole is real. And it does come... It, it does oh, it flavor your life. It comes back. Yeah. And for you, you feel that's uh, dietary as well. <laughs> right? So, it, what do you mean? You mean... I mean, as far yeah. as like putting out energy, I mean, you're yeah, taking in out- vegetables. You're, yeah, you're, yeah, you have yeah. like almost like a, a pure, uh, you know, that, that existence of, of, of only eating vegetables and not, not being connected to animal, you know, uh, farming or, you know, any of that horrible shit that you see in well, food. Well, we're Inc. still all connected to it, you know, by, right. just by virtue of living here and all the other things that we have to do. Do you drive um, a Prius? Please say no. No, I don't. Thank you. I don't. If you drive a V8, like no. a fucking muscle car, I'd be very proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Get, get, do I it. Wish. What the fuck? What have we? What have we been I, talking about these past two hours? Give me the keys. You really I'll take wish. You really spend, wish. You know, I know. You need to get a Kickstarter ta- account <coughs> to get yeah, a, I every really need vegan, that GTO, a muscle car. Yeah. No. There's a certain. Um, I guess it's you know it sounds weird to say it, but there's definitely like a feeling of like greater harmony mm. with the environment. Makes sense. Know? It sounds really stupid. It doesn't. You know, um, I'm going hunting for the first time uh, in October with uh, Steve Ranella. He's uh, a guy who had a TV show on the Travel Channel called The Wild Within. And now he's got a new one called The Meat Eater. And uh, his show is essentially, his original show was all about, um, you know, like sort of like living off the land. And he would do a lot of things that were like really similar to what like... um, uh, people had to do in the 1800s, like you would kill a, a water buffalo with a musket and shit like that. And in his new show, it's all about uh, what you call like fair chase hunting. And one of the things that I've been um, really paying attention to a lot lately is the idea of a hunter-gatherer lifestyle being um, actually uh, uh, like a, a physically benefiting experience for people. And that there are certain amounts of, uh, there, there's a, a certain system, a reward system that's uh, in our bodies that is uh, satisfied with growing your own food. There's a certain reward system that's satisfied with the hunting and fishing. And that our bodies are essentially the same as the bodies of people that lived, you know, 20,000 years ago. There's very little genetic change. And that mm-hmm. we still have these reward systems, these primal feelings of satisfaction that are, are built into our very being as a human being in order to, to, to motivate us to do the correct things to survive and to carry on. And um, at me personally, as a, as a person who's a meat eater, I've, I've never killed an animal ever, you know, except accidentally like car accidents and shit you know i've never like uh went hunting i've never actually i shot a squirrel with a bb when i was like a little i think i might have killed that little guy sorry mm-hmm. sorry squirrel 
but what I'm saying is I've never hunted anything and killed what I, you know, right. what I ate. And I don't know how I'm going to feel. You know, I might, I might shoot a deer and be like, okay, fuck this. I need to get some beets because I'm done right. with this. Or I might go, well, you know what? If I didn't shoot that thing, it would probably get hit by a car or it would get killed by a coyote or it would, you know, it's, it's like it's going to die. It's not going to live the, forever and become magical. What's the term you use? Fair Fair, fair chase. Fair chase. What yeah. does that mean? That means you don't set up bait. You don't put out like bait and uh, and leave food in a very certain a certain spot over and over again, so that you know the animals will be there. In Texas, they actually have feeders where they have these giant uh, drums oh. that uh, dispense food on a timer. So in the morning, the deer just start walking in because they know they're going to get fed. Because most of the time, you're not hunting there because they have giant what they call high fence ranches. And these high fence ranches, it's essentially like they've uh, converted. They've done like a mixture of farming and hunting because it's like it's really like farming i mean you're just harvesting meat the the animal you're in a blind the animal walks out to the spot he goes to every day right. goes to get his food and me, his heart blows out of his chest and he's done he lies there at his legs kicking you turn him into meat and you cook him up and that's that's a way more humane solution for sure than uh, a factory farm, no doubt about it. I'm, I'm not criticizing it, but that's not what Steve Rinella does. What Steve Rinella does, he, he believes that um, the, the real satisfaction comes from like stalking the game, finding the, the right place to be, whether you're you know, upwind or downwind, and getting away from the, the area where the animal can you know, detect you, and you know, and stalking and hunting an animal the way mm -hmm. people did thousands and thousands of years ago. Did you read? Uh, did you read that book, Born to Run? No. So, what is this, it? It's it's called Born to Run by Christopher McDougall. It's an amazing book. Um, he's a uh, contributing writer to I think Men's Journal or Outside Magazine or something like that. It was a hugely successful book um, that that. Uh, Let me shut this door. These people yeah, yeah, next door really loud. Anyway, this guy went down to uh, the Copper Canyon in Mexico, which is this really remote um, area. In the, I think it's in the northern part of Mexico, but you know, below the, the Arizona border somewhere. And it's like a, a land lost in time. Like it's impossible to get in and out of there. And there are these tribes in there called the Tarahumara. And uh, they're like this, uh, this uh, population of endurance runners that essentially run barefoot with these little they have little sandals or whatever and and they'll run incredible distances and and in the course of the book he gets to he gets to sort of commune with these people and it goes into kind of like ultra running and the barefoot running movement and the history of how the running sh you know how nike sort of created this business around running shoes and it's it's fascinating but um one of the things he talks about is this theory that man evolved as a persistent hunter as and that and that we were we evolved to be endurance runners because we would go to chase down these animals that were that are faster than us that have much more fast twitch muscle we could you can't run as fast as them but eventually they just they get exhausted like they can't run days at a time and these humans would just you know patiently like sort of track them and just follow them and follow them and follow them and then just wait until the animal like keeled over out of dehydration or exhaustion and that's how they would conquer the animal and bring it back to to eat people and still so, do it today right and so so the idea that we were sort of bred to be endurance athletes or or runners out of, as a result of this 
you know, thousands of however many thousands of years of doing this. That's fascinating. So uh, did they um, did they use weapons when they first did it or did they just like strangle them and hit them with a rock once they yeah, got I tired? Yeah, I think it was sort of like it was a really they, these animals really would be so. Ex- yeah, they'd be so exhausted that there wasn't much need to do anything severe like they'd keel over. They get him with a rock or wouldn't or it be whatever, fascinating but- if we really knew for sure? It's like really funny when you have like things like that. Like, how did we develop this ability to do this? When did they figure out about persistence hunting and running? It would be really amazing if we could know for sure. It's so funny about how much of like the the past of human beings is like this weird just ideas where you're trying to like piece it together mm-hmm. and like formulate like a vision of well, how things went down it's really hard to just extrapolate that across you know and, and apply it to a certain nutritional way of living like you know with paleo it's sort of all right well paleolithic but you know how many how many thousands of years ago are we talking about or millions of years ago four million forty million forty thousand you right. Know, what so, is it where your body and, and accepts what, it? And what part of the world and, you know, certain peoples evolved to, you know, had an approach to food because of what was available to them in a different way than somewhere else. And, and piecing that puzzle together is, you know, I mean, it's tricky. And they've just started finding some uh, really interesting uh, things that, that show that you might be dealing with far, far older societies than we think in, in the first place. Like they, they're always pushing the dates back of like when people figured certain things out. Like there's some cave art now that they've discovered now that they're, they're looking at like 40,000 plus years ago. And you're like, okay, this is like, this is, this throws things way back. Right. You know, there's, it's a, it's really a fascinating thing trying to piece together what human beings, how, how we become what we are right now and what, what led us to this point, this, this apex of 2012, the, the whole process of hunter and gathering of, I mean, that's what people, a lot of people say the, the thing went wrong when we developed agriculture. That's when the thing went wrong. Is when we figured out how to have a surplus because then we had to defend that surplus and then we had this mm-hmm. big fucking fort. But that was also sort of the, the birth of civilization sure. and, and, the, and the intellect, too. Exactly, where it went wrong. So, where it all went wrong, man. We right. fucked it up. We fucked it up by thinking. <laughs> we could have been having a great time back in the... Spending a week chasing down one gazelle. <laughs> yeah, the video where the guy does it, he does it in Africa, the video that I saw, and uh, he's fucking persistent hunting. So him. he just... How long did it take him? Forever. It was a long day. Mm-hmm. And he just kept chasing this fucking thing. And at the end, he was so tired. And they, they said that the guy doesn't even eat it. The guy who uh, kills the animal didn't even eat it out of respect mm-hmm. for, you know, the, the process or, you know, the, the connection that he has to the animal. You know, which we, that's the, the weirdest thing. And I think, uh, you know, the, the, one of the weirdest things about human beings is our lack of connection to what food is. You know, people that are, they, they get upset if you want to go hunting, yet they're wearing leather. People that eat mm-hmm. meat but would never kill it themselves it's like Mm -hmm. we we've really like figured out a way to completely disconnect people from the process which i just i can't see that being natural well living with this ignorance but (laughs) denial and disassociation are very powerful and they're they're powerful defense mechanisms for just getting through the day yeah how do you fix that how do you (laughs) how do you uh is there a way to to uh inspire uh, in the classroom some a a different way of looking at things so that people don't grow up to be the same fucked up pattern monkeys over and over and over again 
Well, it's weird because it, in some ways it, it, I feel like it's changing and it's getting better. And then in other ways, I feel like it's moving backwards. I mean, when you have the Internet and you have all this unbelievable you know, amount of information available to you where you can find out anything in an instant and you can get to the bottom of you know, what's happening in subject X, uh, that's like a good thing, right? Like mm -hmm. you, it, it pulls the covers on a lot of people and a lot of organizations and what have you. And yet at the same time, you have traditional media that's becoming even more and more entrenched. You know, it's sort of like, remember when we were kids, it was like the local news and that was how you got your news, <laughs> you know, and it, you're going to believe what they tell you. And, and now it's with the internet, it's, you watch the news and you're like, well, I don't know if that's the whole story and yeah. why aren't they saying this? And it's easy to go online and, and, you know, extrapolate upon that and find out more and figure out why they're not telling you this part of the story or that. Whereas you didn't have that before. Yet at the same time, I feel like we're more and more entrenched in this fear-based culture in which there's a clampdown. And yeah. so where does that lead us? Like, is it ultimately, does that like implode on itself or like where, what, how does it all play? How does that all play out? That's the question, right? I mean, yeah. it is playing out. And I think, believe it or not, without sounding grandiose, conversations like this are a part of the decision-making process. It's a part of how society looks at it, about, about how we approach it, because there's a lot of people that are like you that realizes this is, that this is not natural. This, is, this, this whole thing is, is bizarre, and it can go wrong. It can all go wrong. The whole, this fear-based culture that you brought up, the idea of the, 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 the lack of um, civil liberties, uh, the lack of privacy that we really have in this country now, the laws that are being passed over and over again that allow people to look into your stuff because you might be a terrorist, I mean, how did we not learn from the McCarthy era? How did we not learn that the, the way we're, is not to crack Because down? we're distracted. We're distracted by our iPhones and the Kardashians. And you know what I mean? Like yeah. people are, there is a malaise, you know, and, and technology, you know, plays a huge part in that, in distracting us. Like, it, again, it's like the matrix, you know, it's crazy. Well, I've it's, said. It's weird because. You used to be, if you were to talk about this kind of stuff or propose any of these ideas, you were just a crazy conspiracy theorist. But now it's, there's too many crazy things going on to, yeah. to not you know, realize that there's a lot of truth to all this stuff. I mean, everything from like the, the label on the front of a, a food product that you buy that's telling you this and that, you turn around and look at the, the nutrition facts panel and you realize it's nonsense. Or how about genetically modified foods? You well, know, that's like, well, insane. Have I mean, you that, looked? At, I mean, <laughs> to the you know to the I mean the people that yeah. are making them. Have you looked down the road twenty years and found out what people are gonna what's gonna happen when people yeah. eat these? What, that's really How's it scary. gonna alter the environment? Like you're really you're putting scary. pest. You're developing a fucking thing that has a natural pesticide. And humans are not. We're not wired to be forward thinking or to, to consider the long play. You know. No, we're a bunch of so. scary creeps. Button pushing so who's that? Was monkeys that? What did and I bang just hear sticks. recently? Somebody said, I can't remember who, where I heard this, but if all the insects died, that uh, if all the in, if all the insects died, the uh, the whole Earth would be dead in 50 years or something like that. But if all the humans died, the Earth would thrive. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it would repair itself. I believe that. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, you, just the the mass of ants and the jobs mm -hmm. that ants do. People don't understand. You know, gazelles have to be there then that means you have to have cheetahs you, you have to have something that cleans things up mm -hmm. and you know ants play a very important role in the removal of shit that we leave around i mean ants have you know when you leave something on the table and the ants swarm it that's what they're supposed to do yeah. they find shit on the ground they find dead bodies they find everything they and they they go to work 
What about the, all this craziness with the bees? It's weird. Yeah. It's very weird. It's weird because um, there's a bunch of different theories, and no one seems to know what the fuck it is. Some people say it's cell phones and that the extra cell phone signals are fucking with the bees. Mm-hmm. And I've talked to experts, and they say there's no doubt about it that it has an effect on the bees. That really? the, the frequency that they operate in, that they can pick up bands of radio waves and things because they're antenna. I mean, they communicate with each other. We had a thing on Fear Factor once where we covered these people in bees, and uh, when we were uh, we were out in um, this place called Sable Ranch, and it's a huge ranch, and a natural hive of bees was at the ranch. So they they have all these bees on these people. These local bees came flying in like a giant group of them, and they all made a huge cloud in the sky. And the uh, bee handlers like, all right, everybody, let's back away from this. Everybody, get way back. They got to work this out. So they worked it out. They communicated with each other, and they found out who was who, and then the local bees, like, separated. And they let the, lo- the, the, the bees that were this guy's honeybees, the, the trained bees, they're never trained, you know, the, the right. contained bees, I guess you would say, let them go about their business. But it's like there was some communication going on, he, and this guy said they had to work this out. Like, that's how he described it. And I go, what do you mean work it out? Like, what's, <laughs> what's going on here? That's incredible. Oh, it was amazing because mm-hmm. um, I, 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 what's amazing is that nobody seemed to give a fuck. You know, the, I, I, was, I was baffled by the... I'm like, are they up there talking? Are they talking right now? Right. His bees were like... <laughs> they all got together. And I was amazed that this guy knew what was going on. That he knew that some local bees came in. And he knew that that's all they had to do. They just had to get together and talk. Right. I'm like, how often does this happen? And he's like, it happens all the time. The bees find out there's some other bees in their area. I'm like, how the mm. fuck are they finding out? Yeah. I guess they send scouts maybe. They have one guy that's like, dude, there's a fucking hundred guys I never met before. Yeah. How does the scout come out and then come back and communicate that information to get everyone else to come out? Yeah, they say they yeah. do it through pheromones. You know, there there's a lot of um, d- there's a lot of confusion about how they do it and what what level of communication they actually have because they're so alien to us. I mean, they're what they they're fascinating. If they're using our <sighs> and, our cell phone yeah. networks, they're probably just texting each other. Yeah. I think they're just getting jacked. I think our cell phone they're, networks they're are like, like jackhammers disappearing, in their heads. but they don't they can't find them either. Yeah. You know, it's sort of like, well, where are they? Where are they going? Well, they're not disappearing. They're dying. They're not breeding properly, right? Yeah, it's crazy. And if we don't have bees, especially honeybees, yeah. we're, we're really we're fucked. We need trouble. to come up with little robot bees that do a better job than bees. Little tiny microscopic robots that go out and pollinate shit. Drone Is that so bees. hard? Yeah, why do you have to have drones to kill people in Pakistan? The bees, hey, we need some drone the bees. bees. so complex. Yeah, what if we have this badass bee that's mm. less complex and we control that little motherfucker? <laughs> All it has to do is pollinate. I don't, you know, we can make our own honey, I'm pretty sure. We don't need bees for that, right? Can we figure out a way to make artificial honey? Probably. Not like. They say that local honey um, from uh, the area that you are contains uh, uh, protection from uh, the, the, the local ailments. Like, say, uh, if there's local colds going on, that it would be a, a good uh, anti, uh, antioxidant or not, not cure, but a good prevention from, uh, from catching local colds. That uh, raw honey. And raw food really is where it's at. I mean, the, the real problem with milk for a lot of people is the, um, the, uh, the fact that you have to get it homogenized and mm-hmm. pasteurized. If you get raw milk, it's way easier to d- digest. I don't yeah. necessarily know. I mean, in that your makes government view, crazy. Well, I, I mean, that whole thing that went down in Santa Monica. I think they're still in. What happened? There was that. There's a. Was it the Santa Monica Co-op or there was some place in Santa Monica that was selling raw milk and uh, 
government like clamped down. They had they like raided the place. I guess they'd given them a couple warnings or maybe had done a like a mellow raid earlier and they kept they kept trying to sell raw milk and then they finally went in like guns blazing and shut them down and there's always lawsuits now about yeah it. they got the guy was on like a million dollars bail or something right, crazy right right well the, what i found out though is that raw milk is still legal you can buy raw milk in this country in this so state what did they what did the guy do that was i don't know some know. regulatory issue but sprouts um in uh woodland hills has raw milk they do yeah there's uh, certain companies that in california sell raw milk huh. yeah hold on there's a there's a a uh a, a famous uh raw milk company and they um they uh they list where they sell it and um they sell it at quite a few different places yeah I, we need to find the law on that because uh raw milk I was under the mistaken impression that it was illegal because they pulled it out of Whole Foods. Whole right. Foods. Whole Foods. Whole Foods. Oh. Raw milk, Los Angeles. Yeah, let me see here. Yeah. But yeah, you can get... There's websites that are, are... Then what happened with that guy in Santa Monica? Because that was a, that was I a don't know. gnarly situation. There's actually a raw milk uh, store in Hollywood. Shout out to the OPDC Hub, a raw milk store where you can buy raw milk in L.A. Mm. Yeah, oops, every now and then it sickens 10 people. <laughs> raw milk sickens 10 people. Well, you know, the thing about raw milk is it's like the thing you're not supposed to be able to take milk and it sits on the couch or it sits rather uh, in the refrigerator for a fucking week and a half and it's mm -hmm. still good. That's crazy. Like, that doesn't exist in nature. You can't take a steak and leave it in your fridge for a week and a half. It looks like shit, it smells terrible because it's rotting. You know, and that's that that's going on with your milk too. Like at a certain point in time, like it's not going to be good anymore. You can't just but that homogenized pasteurized shit. You just leave it in there. Like yeah. Weeks later, it stays, it stays good. For yeah, you long. open the top weeks later. You smell it. You're like, it's fine. That's crazy. I mean, we we've, we've figured out a way to preserve things and make them all fucking funky. Did you have a milkman when you were a kid? For a very brief point in time, I think my grandparents did because I do remember it. But it, I don't think it was our house. But I do remember it. So I think it was my yeah. grandparents, but they had like a, a glass bottle with a foil top. Yeah, exactly. Does, I mean, do, does that even exist anymore? Anywhere? I bet somebody must offer somebody that service. There's always these like small companies like grass fed is a big issue now uh -huh. with a lot of people. Um, specifically, uh, before we, we end this, I wanted to find out what is wrong with what the paleo guys are saying and in your opinion and like what, uh, what, what's faulty about their thinking? What's faulty about their thinking? Well, yeah. I think that, that um, what's problematic for me is this idea that it's, this it's a low-carb focus, right? It's low-carb, high-protein. I think the focus and, is to, to, to <clears throat> eat like people ate thousands of years ago because that's how our body's set up. Yeah, but so who it's essentially like just vegetables and meat. I think meat. that the, uh, the, um, the research on how we ate thousands of years ago, again, going back to what we talked about before, like, you know, there's, there's holes in that. So is there, yeah, I mean, we were hunter and gatherers. So there's a gathering part to that that gets overlooked in favor of the hunting part. Cause that's a little sexier, I guess. It is sexy um, as fuck. <clears throat> but, uh, the idea of eating, you know, such a, such a, a low, like the, the no grain thing, the no fruit thing, all of that to, you know, focus on, the meat, the saturated fat, the high protein, the low carbohydrate is, 
is sort of, in, in a certain respect, is kind of a, an extrapolation of the Atkins diet, you know, which is where this whole idea of, you know, this way of eating, which helps you lose weight relatively quickly, but also um, can cause you problems if, you know, with ketosis and, and eating too much protein, which can, which can be damaging. And so, as a, you know, as an athlete, like, I don't know how you're supposed to function without eating more carbohydrates. Like, I couldn't do it without eating plenty of grains and, and fruit. <clears throat> and that's just speaking from my own experience. But um, my biggest thing is, again, going back to what we talked about earlier, which is, which is um, this incredible incidence of Western disease that we have to deal with here. You know? And when people are dropping dead of heart attacks left and right, and it's a gigantic problem, and you know, diabetes, obesity, Alzheimer's, all these kinds of things. And there are studies that link animal products to the incidence of these disease. And that, to me, it makes more sense to eat plant-based. And the studies show that when you eat a plant-based diet, you can actually you know, prevent yourself from contracting these essentially foodborne illnesses. So, that's, so it's not that um, I have some huge beef with paleo per se. Um, I'm just more pro plant-based diet. And again, I think there's, you know, a lot of cool stuff about paleo. Like I love the evolutionary fitness aspect of it, you know, the sort of return to moving your body and the kettleballs and the focus on core strength and how that birthed CrossFit and all of that. I think that's, that stuff's fantastic. Yeah. So there's, you know, and it's certainly, you know, I think that a plant-based diet and a paleo diet have a lot more in common than they do differences when compared to a standard American diet, for sure. You know well, standard I mean? American diet isn't even a, really a diet. It's just a, a filler. I know, but the problem is that if you ask people, 90% of people, if you ask them, will tell you they eat healthy, when in fact it's probably like 1% of people that actually <laughs> eat healthy, or everybody wouldn't be keeling over with heart disease. You know, And I think that heart disease starts when you're a teenager. You know, You start clogging those arteries at a very young age and you hear these stories of like, oh, I had no symptoms and then I keeled over from a heart attack. Well, you've been working on that disease for 20 years. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. it's a real problem and it just doesn't need to exist. And so from everything that I've read, the best way to prevent that is to cut the meat and dairy out of your diet. You know, I don't know how to, I don't know how to say it any other way. So why do the paleo guys deny this and the paleo guys seem to point to the fact that there's a, an actual benefit to eating meat and that a vegetarian diet or a vegan diet does not have all the nutritional benefits of uh, meat eating, protein eating diets? I don't know why they say that because I don't, I don't believe that to be true. I mean, if they're there's saying no that you can't, no that you can't, you can't thrive on a vegan diet, I mean, it's just, it's an, it's a ill-founded it's an ill-founded statement. I mean, I think even Rob himself said, you know, lots of guys do well on a vegan diet. And he said he tried a vegan diet, and, it, and ultimately he lost a, a ton of weight. I think he said he lost a you know, whole bunch of weight or whatever. And I can't remember why he said he decided to not do it anymore, whether he wasn't feeling good or, or whatever. But I'd be interested in knowing what it was that he was eating. Because I think most people that say, yeah, I tried a vegan diet. It didn't work for me. Or I felt lousy. Well, I don't know what that means, you know. I mean, you can be a junk food vegan and eat terribly and be be nutrient deprived for sure, you know. So it's not about it's not about eating tofurkey and fake chicken fingers. It's about the whole foods, you know, the whole food plant-based diet. And that means, you know, similar to paleo, getting rid of the oils, you know, or or, you know, 
saturated really reducing fats. the oils. Well, not the saturated fats, but the other fats. I mean, this most you know most of the plant-based oils aren't don't have saturated. I mean, coconut oil does, or a couple that do. <clears throat> but you know, but it's um, actually still very some good of the for other, you. Yeah, exactly. But but those those also you know contribute to atherosclerosis and stuff like that. Coconut so oil even, does. No, just oils and oils in general. Coconut oil, oil can t- continue. Can, well, if can you are, yeah, I mean, there is a certain contingent of the whole food plant-based diet movement that basically say no oils, no oils in your diet. What? Yeah. But I thought that essential a, oils are essential so, for brain function and for. There, these are these are the people that are. This is like the Dr. Esselstyn, the T. Colin Campbell, like the hardcores or whatever, and they're speaking to people that have suffered heart attacks or you know are in seriously poor health and are in a position where they really need to rever- reverse a condition that they're in. Mm-hmm. So it's an ex- it's an extreme situation. Personally, I you know I eat oils. I, I put coconut oil in my morning Vitamix. I like olive oil in my dressing or whatever. I try not to overdo it. I'm judicious about it, but. Um, I feel like I need that in order to, you know, get the calories that I need to train the way that I want to train. Yeah, because there's a <clears throat> lot of people that believe that fats and oils are they're, they're critical to uh, to brain function. Not only that, they're a very efficient source of energy, especially in endurance sports, because you know every gram of fat has you know much more whatever it is kilojoules of energy than than a you know gram of sugar or gram of carbohydrate. Really? Mm-hmm. So um, you're better <clears throat> but off. But it's metabolized with more... in a different way. You know what I mean? Like in, in endurance sports, you're always looking at, you know, sort of what, what zone of exertion you're training in. And that can be calculated by heart rate, like wearing a heart rate monitor or on a bike by a power meter that measures the amount of watts, like the force that you're exerting on the pedal. And you can be very specific about um, what your exertion level is and how that correlates to which energy mechanism you're using and so when you're an endurance athlete you want to really emphasize the fat burning zone which is like the lower intensity the aerobic the aerobic zone of energy which is kind of like just below that that level where you feel like you're you're getting a little too winded you know what i mean and that's it's a certain level of exertion in which you're metabolizing fat for energy as opposed to glycogen and if you're metabolizing fat for energy you can essentially go all day the more you train that that mechanism it gets more and more efficient um, but if you are, if your exertion ramps up and you're burning glycogen all of a sudden for energy, you're only going to be able to go about 90 minutes before you run out of fuel. You can deplete your glycogen stores. You're never going to p- deplete your fat stores. <clears throat> There's just too much of it. So you can um, train your body to burn off fat instead of training your body to burn off well, carbohydrates. You're, you're training your, you're training your body to utilize fat for energy. So it's not like you're, you're, you know, there's a difference between dietary fat, subcutaneous fat, but we all have, no matter how lean you are and how matter, you know, I've gotten very, very lean, you still have a lot of, you know, fat in your system that's available as an energy resource. And how do you train your body to do that? By, by being very specific about the training zones and, and, and the exertion levels that you're, that, you're, uh, that, you're, that you're doing, whether it's running, swimming, or biking. So, for example, cycling is like a perfect machine for... for the human because you can rig it all up to a computer and you can be very very specific about what your output is you have a heart rate monitor you have com- the bikes these days have a computer on them right so you have your power meter which registers the force you're exerting on the pedals in watts and then you can extrapolate that out after a ride what your average watts are for that ride and then you balance that against what your heart rate was 
at that particular watts, what the grade, you know, how much elevation gain you had, what the exterior temperature is. And you can create these insane graphs and look at it and like make judgment calls about where your fitness is, where your weaknesses are, and adjust your training program accordingly. And so when you're training for endurance or ultra endurance, again, it goes back to really emphasizing that fat burning zone, that aerobic zone, because, because <clears throat> the more efficient you can be at that, you can, you can, um, you can improve your speed without doing that much speed work. I'm not, I'm not saying this um, very articulately, but for, I'll give you an example. When I first started doing this endurance stuff, out and wanted to stay in my zone two, which is the aerobic zone, I would have to keep my heart rate when I was running below about 145. Initially, when I first started running, I couldn't, uh, if I ran faster than like a 9 or a 9.30 pace, my heart rate would go over 145. And when it went over 145, I knew I was no longer in the fat burning zone and I was getting into the glycogen burning zone. But by staying in that specific heart rate region, over time, my pace increased without my heart rate going up, which, which, is, telling, which is telling me that I'm becoming a more efficient athlete. At a certain level of exertion, my body is becoming faster and more efficient. So by training less hard, less, less physical exertion, you actually improve your boundaries? In a certain respect, yeah. I mean, it was explained to me initially, like, if you want to go fast, first you're going to have to go slow. You wow. know, and build the, build the foundation of this machine from the ground up. And that doesn't mean there isn't a time and place for speed work and, you know, super exertion work <clears throat> at, a, at a higher intensity zone. But... But the key to success in endurance sports is really emphasizing that, um, that aerobic zone training. And efficiency. More and more efficient. And so, for example, when I first started doing this training and I'd go out for these crazy long training sessions, I'd come back, I was starving, I'd be eating, you know, I just couldn't eat enough food. Now, the toll that it, the, the tax on my body for doing a similar workout, like four or five years later, is de minimis compared to what it was before. So actually, my appetite has gone down, even though the training has been the same, if not more difficult. So, so the body adapts, in other words. Wow, that is fascinating stuff. Mm -hmm. So um, how often are you wearing a heart monitor while you're training, while you're always. exercising? Always. Always. Yeah. always. You're, you see, I never, I always buy mm -hmm. them, and I just fucking leave them sit there, and I just work out. And right. I just work out hard, and then I'm done. Well, and, you know, coming from swimming and what it was like in the 80s, you know, it was always, you know, uh, go hard or go home and no pain, no gain. It's like, and if I had a, an hour to work out and I was going to go for a run, I'm just run as hard as I can, you know, as fast as I can in that given hour. And that's the best workout that I'm going to get. And actually, you know, the truth couldn't be more different. So if you want to get better, and that's the problem with a lot of sort of amateur athletes that want to do marathons or 10 Ks or, or even like shorter distance triathlons by training that way of just kind of using the time allotted and going as hard as you can in that allotted period of time, you're going to reach a certain level of fitness and aptitude in what you're trying to do, but you're very quickly going to hit a glass ceiling and you're going to plateau and you're not going to be able to break through. So what is the way to break through? The right. way to break through is to step it back and really, again, go back to building that foundation from the ground up and focusing on if you slow down and really, uh, focus on improving your aerobic efficiency, and it's time consuming, it takes time to do this, um, then you are building a platform upon which that speed work, which you will do later, is going to catapult you into a new realm of proficiency.
So it's all about, it it does make sense. So it's all about Mm -hmm. pushing the heart rate at a certain pace, maintaining that certain pace for prolonged periods of time, and then building up to the point where you could do that easier and easier and easier, and that Mm -hmm. is your aerobic base. And exactly. it's not about these wild sprints till your heart wants to fucking explode. It's it's actually about building up your ability to maintain a uh, a heart rate even though you're doing more work. Maintain the same heart rate of 145 is that what you're, you're Well, yeah, I mean that's just my personal example, but I mean it it requires a different kind of discipline because you kind of have to check your ego at the door. Right. You know what I mean? And and sometimes you want that feeling of like I just exerted myself. I feel like I did some work. I got something done. And having the discipline to say every workout has a purpose and the purpose of this workout is I'm going to run for an hour and a half and my goal is to never let my heart rate exceed that zone two threshold. So, if, so say if you that means I'm going to finish the run and maybe I'm not even going to feel that tired. I might not feel like I, I was like, oh, I don't feel like I got anything out of that and believing in that program and sticking to it over time to build that house. Do you think that that's a, a good way that someone should approach uh, martial arts as well? And that like strength and conditioning for martial arts, like say kettlebells or something like that, they should also do the same sort of a thing, maintain? Uh... Well, it's a little bit different because endurance sports are so much about efficiency of movement, you know, and <clears throat> over a prolonged period of time, whereas something like jujitsu or, or, or what have you is about explosive speed. But at the same time, if you're gonna be in the ring for a prolonged period of time, if you have the sort of lung capacity and stamina to endure, you know, longer than your competitor so that you're fresher in that last round than he is, then you're going to have an advantage. So I think that what that would mean, and certainly I'm no expert in martial arts or what have you, so I don't want to get schooled for, you know, saying the wrong thing. But it would seem to me that in the off season um, or, you know, quite a bit of time before you get into your training camps leading up to a fight, you would focus on doing a lot of base aerobic training work to kind of lay that endurance foundation. And then you build upon that with the specific strength and explosive speed exercises to, you know, have that pyramid come to a peak when it comes to fight day. Well, one of the best fighters in the world, uh, Nick Diaz, is uh, a known triathlete. I mean, mm-hmm. he's, uh, he's constantly doing massive endurance work. And right. the thing about Nick is that he puts guys, he puts them into a pace. He sets them up. Like when he's uh, when he, when he fights, he pushes a pace that other guys can't compete with. Mm-hmm. Like he uses his endurance, he uses his very strong endurance base as an extra weapon. It's an extra yeah, it's, thing. It's, that's that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because he can he can just keep going. He swam right. back from Alcatraz twice. Uh-huh. I mean, he's got ridiculous endurance. Right. And because of that, you know, it's, it's he's like one of the scariest guys in the world because of that. Because you know you're not going to wear him out. You're never going to wear him yeah. out. It's impossible. He'll be scrambling deep into the fifth round while you're gasping for air. He'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And he talks shit to you while he's beating on you. So right. it's a fucking <laughs> terrible Demoralizes nightmare. Demoralizes you he's at the same time. Pretty sure he follows uh, basically a vegan diet as well. Yeah, and I thought, he, I, that's what I thought. Yeah, he does it for performance reasons. Mm-hmm. I think Jake Shields does as well. I think Jake may eat uh, eggs occasionally mm-hmm. but i think that's it and for a lot of people who don't know i didn't know until i was 30 that uh when you have an egg it's not like something died the chickens just lay those eggs and if they're not fertilized by the male if the rooster doesn't get in the hen house those eggs are just they just go to waste you can eat them you don't even have bad karma dude um what could someone is there a book that someone could read about this uh this conditioning thing i know that for a yeah, lot man. of people that do jujitsu this is going to be uh really uh, fascinating for a lot of people that do anything athletic. What, what is a good book that they could read about heart rates and 
Um, well, they could read. They could read my book. Well, tell us what it is. What's your book? <laughs> my book uh, is called Finding Ultra. Actually, can I grab it? I have. Yeah, it. please do. I would love to read it. Here's it on the screen. Oh, there you go. oh boom. And is this uh, a, your life story? Is it also? Um, yeah, I mean, this is. Uh, it's essentially it's essentially memoir. It's like my my personal story, but it has a lot about um, how I sort of reinvented myself as an athlete and how I had to kind of relearn some certain principles about fitness that I, I grappled with and didn't understand initially that um, sort of allowed me, I believe, to reach a new level of fitness heights that I certainly didn't think was possible, particularly as a, a middle-aged guy. And you so. did this all through that method of building up the aerobic base. Yeah, and, and I was training for a very specific thing that is, you know, not what most people are training for, but the kind of principles that we were just talking about, I think, are applicable to, you know, the this sort of weekend warrior athlete, whether you want to, you know, go out and be able to feel good in your pickup basketball game or, or touch football or whatever it is. Um, it's how to use your time crunched, uh, days effectively, you know, rather than just going out haphazardly and saying, I'm going to blast this 30 minutes on the treadmill and do it time and time again and wonder why you're never getting any faster. So, um, so people can get any answers to any questions about conditioning and what you learned from Finding yeah. Ultra. Can they get that on yeah. Amazon and Finding all the different Ultra. places? Yeah, it's everywhere. It's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. And if people want to reach books. you, it's Rich Roll R I C H, not Rick, <laughs> no, not no. Uh, fucking Rick Astley. This is not a joke. Rich Roll, the real Rich Roll, yeah. just like the real Rich Ross, but a different guy. And you could find Rich Roll on Twitter, just Rich Roll, R-I-C-H-R-O-L-L. Is that the best way to get a hold of you, the yeah, best Twitter. way to find information about you? I mean, I'm you? on Facebook, too, and my website's uh, Rich Roll, R-I-C-H-R-O-L-L. Well, listen, man, there. your story's an so. awesome story. I love a comeback. I love, uh, I love a guy who figures something mm-hmm. out in his life and makes a change and then spreads that information. And you're an inspirational dude, and uh, having you on the podcast is really cool, and I would love to do this again if cool, you want to come in yeah. again. Feelings mutual, man. Yeah, I we could keep talking here, about so this forever. Great. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, but the, I, I, I had to stop myself yeah. from the endurance questions. I would have oh. bored the fuck out of everybody. I know. I was like, this is getting a little personal. technical, man. I don't know if people really are going to be that interested. <laughs> Some but, uh, people will, yeah. hopefully. Um, uh, thank, cool. you, uh, thank you very much, man. Really appreciate it. So Rich Roll, right. uh, and follow him on Twitter. Go Go to DeskSquad.tv, you dirty bitches, and pick yourself up some funky-ass cat T-shirts. Oh, <laughs> uh, and and they come with a free sticker too, so yeah, you put it on your call, so people uh, they don't come with a free sticker. Uh, where you get? I thought you said you're sending those stickers. No, no they you can order stickers sticker? coming soon. Yeah, oh, all right. We have well, you got pay for that sticker, hooker. <laughs> <laughs> Go get yourself a sticker. But those uh, you can identify fellow Death Squatters in parking lots and shit. It's good, so you know what's up. Uh, a guy just tweeted me so that his uh, neighbor, uh, who he never met before, knocked on his door when he heard he was listening to this podcast. He heard my voice yeah. booming out of his living room. <laughs> and so the neighbor knocked. He's like, man, I fucking love that podcast. Awesome. So uh, thanks, everybody, for, uh, you know, like, I can't thank you guys enough for being the, the coolest crowds ever. Sacramento was fucking completely off the chain. I, I literally, uh, I, I never imagined that we would have these kind of crowds on a regular basis. It's, it's really amazing. And we appreciate the fuck out of it. And, and what I said earlier is not lip service. I, I really do feel a massive obligation to you guys. I know that this has become a part of your life, and it's a part of our life too. And everything we're doing, Brian and I, is uh, moving towards making sure we just keep doing more of this, keep digging deeper, keep having more people, more cool people like Rich Roll come on the show. And tomorrow, uh, Mac Danzig will be on, as I said, as will the director of Cocaine Cowboys, Billy Corbin, who is also a cool motherfucker. Uh, thanks to um, uh, thanks to Alienware. 
Footwear MMA for sending us some uh, some cool ass um, laptops that Brian runs all the YouTube videos on. If you go to follow them on Twitter, Alien MMA on Twitter, um, and thanks to Onnit.com, use the code name Rogan. O-N-N-I-T. The code name Rogan will save you 10% off any and all supplements. All right, you fucking freaks. Tomorrow we have a double podcast day. So first will be Mac Danzig, and then it will be Joey Diaz and Billy Corbin. And then we have a spectacular show tomorrow night at the Ice House Comedy Club. It is Dom Irera. It is Duncan Trussell, Doug Benson, Brian Redband, Joey Diaz. The list goes on. And whoever winds up coming by. They can they can get on stage too. All right, we'll see you tomorrow, right. folks. We love Thank you. Thank you.